Christmas time. I'm in the giving mood. We've got a bonus episode of That's What G Said podcast where we dive into Wakanda Forever, Black Panther 2. Tim Kelly joins us for the deep dive, like always. Every new Marvel movie, TV show, everything that's happened in the Disney Plus era, we have individual episode recaps, full movie recaps, and now we'll get into Wakanda Forever. And then on the back end... Let's get into Rogue One, Star Wars. We just finished talking about Andor, Season 1. Now let's see how all of that compares knowing what we know about Andor's backstory as we take a look into Rogue One. So we do the same thing. We dive into that movie with Trevor Hayes and with Michael Foster. So you have a full Wakanda Forever deep dive followed by the Rogue One Deep dive. If you're a, a fan of fandom, kick back and enjoy. We have so much fun talking about these great movies, and we get to you know just chop it up with your friends. That's what life's all about: talking with your your friends all about the stuff that you really love. First up, Black Panther Two: Wakanda Forever. It's time to head back to the MCU. We are going to head back into the world of Marvel, and this one is uh, an experience really unlike anything I can remember in the world of Marvel. And even watching a movie, Tim Kelly joins me as he has for all of our deep dive recaps. Anytime there's anything going on in the world of Marvel, MCU, movies, TV shows, we're going to have you covered with a deep dive recaps here. And TK, you and I actually saw this movie together just a couple days ago. We were recording this on uh, the morning of December the 10th. So by now, Wakanda Forever has been out for a month. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. We're going to go through everything in, in in this movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, be uh, be wary that we are going to talk about everything that happened. And wow, this was uh, an emotional movie, Tim. And it, it it it's not just your normal movie that you go to sit down and watch. This this movie had a lot to do. It it yeah. had to not only live up to the cultural experience of the first Black Panther, which was such a huge hit. It also had to deal with the death of the main character, Chadwick Boseman, who was going to be a major part of the MCU and and the Black Panther moving forward. It had to keep the MCU moving forward overall. It had to elevate less central characters, kind of like a like a Shuri, and make her <laughs> The protector of Wakanda. It had to end stage four. It had to introduce new characters like the the Talokins and Iron Heart and Namor. I mean, this for, this movie had a lot to do, and yeah, I think it did a pretty darn good job trying to check all those boxes. I have to agree with you. Yeah, you know they say that um, you know movies have an agenda these days, and there's a lot of people who will complain about that. Uh, this movie had a very unfortunate agenda, and it was uh, it, there, there was no way around it. Uh, they had to address the death of its central character. Uh, that's a pretty much lose-lose situation, but they found a way to get a win out of it. Uh, so props to them. Props to Ryan Coogler for finding the story there uh, to, to make it work and to make it about grief in a way that didn't feel like it was um, retreading over a lot of the other Marvel uh, content that has been also about grief as of late. Mm-hmm. Uh, this it felt, felt unique. very personal, very yes. unique, very specific to uh, to the character of T'Challa and uh, the loss of the the great actor Chadwick Boseman. Uh, you could feel the love for both the character and the person 
uh, throughout this film. And I think some of the strongest moments came from uh, those moments that were just dedicated to celebrating uh, the, the life of that actor and that person and, of course, that character, T'Challa. Yeah, I, I very much agree. And, and it was I mean, it it that's it, how we start and finish the movie, basically, with mm. with, um, you know, tributes to him. But they're not they're not it, it, it's it's a tough dance, right? It's not mm. it's something that could be like cringy or you could feel like you said, like, you know, maybe in becomes kind of in poor taste. Like, are you are you doing this as um a way to try to to I don't know make more money or do it just it didn't it didn't feel I didn't feel any of that watching no this. and I like that I like that you said tough dance too because uh, the dance elements in those scenes were some of the strongest most beautiful yes. parts that's the slow motion that shot of the the, the line of of uh, women dancers all in white and their uh, funer- um, funeral garb uh, which is all white Wakanda culture uh, just beautiful seeing the the streets come alive in celebration of T'Challa and of course the meta appreciation of again Chadwick Boseman uh, that mural on, on the wall just this is an incredibly uh, wonderfully shot film uh, in many ways I did have some complaints about you know some of the CG some of the battle stuff to me reminded me of the complaints that I've had about other Marvel films of late. maybe some of the recent uh, ones the, even too like yeah, a Shang Chi maybe Shang or something Chi, like that yeah specific, specifically Shang Chi in the in the third act uh, this film's third act had some moments that I felt reminded me of that just the way it felt like it was on soundstage but there were other parts where you know we're out filming on location and uh, it just felt like a film it felt like a real real deal movie not just you know some of the the lowest common denominator stuff that Marvel has been putting out as as of late you know to disney plus some of the stuff that we've been a little bit more critical of this reached the the highest heights that marvel uh is yes has been capable of so far at times and uh, i really appreciated those moments it it felt like a big movie it felt like there mm-hmm. in, in like i agree with you nothing's perfect but it didn't feel right. like there were skimp like things got skimped on because of like a budget or timing things like it did i didn't get the feel of that for the most part and what what i think this was able to do was what it's hard for some of these more recent shows and movies to do this felt like a singular movie while also <laughs> part of the MCU as a greater whole I think I got yeah. the feel of it. Like you could watch this as a singular movie and not feel like it's only pushing to the next movie, right? Or like right. sometimes we come out of these shows or movies and you're like, oh, that was fine. That was entertaining. But like really the only thing that came out of that was the post-credit scene. You know, like that wasn't right, the case right. in this movie. They had a story to tell. Like this yeah. was a family that was grieving and really, I mean, really this is like – a similar type story that Chichala had in the first Black Panther that we're finding that Shuri is having to deal with now, right? Coming to grips right. with becoming the Black Panther and sort of being the leader of the people. Um, I just I really liked a lot of of what they did. And again, yeah. we we talk about like the casting; they are so good. Like they introduced a new <laughs> character, Namor, who I thought was excellent. Ooh. He was Stole like. Charismatic. He had like a he was scary, but not like so terrifying that you you completely hate him. Like you almost he he spoke enough truth that like we keep talking about that the best villains always do, where you're right. like, damn, 
this guy, like, he's kind of <laughs> got a cause, right? Like, the conquistadors yeah. came in, they gave his family and all them smallpox, and then, you know, now him and his people have basically been, you know, pushed into the ocean, into the sea. They've lived underwater so that way they could stay away from, like, war and famine and all the bad stuff happening on the world. And they just want to live, like, nicely in their own little oasis. And then all of a sudden, people find out that they have vibranium. And, like, now the world is trying to find vibranium. And so you kind of feel bad for this group of people who we haven't really seen that they've done anything wrong to anyone up until this point. We're going to find out, like always, that um, his motivations might be okay, but he wants to go too far. And that's always the case with the villains, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of parallels with um, Killmonger uh, yep. for, for for Namor here, um, the, namely the the post colonial anger stuff. You know, like they're both motivated by a sense that they were um, on the 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 losing side of like a conquered people, yep. uh, and they want justice for that. Yep. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, you can really get behind the things that uh, he's doing, even when they're you know questionable or, or not you know good things. He he does villainous things in this film but you can you can kind of justify them uh and that said he but like like you mentioned he was so scary in this too like he, he just mm-hmm. had a presence the the music uh by ludwig uh Goransson, i think really helped to highlight that um there was he was back from the the first black panther he's also done all the um mandalorian music so uh, a lot of really good stuff from him he also worked with kugler on, on the creed films really really great soundtrack to this uh, yeah, I absolutely loved so much about this film. Uh, and to your point before about uh, tying in to the MCU, I would uh, say that that was some of the my least favorite aspects of this. I think that this film actually worked really well despite a lot of those elements. Um, for one, Riri Williams, we haven't really mentioned her yet. Uh, I loved a lot of the stuff there with Ironheart and Riri, Riri Williams. Um, as it was presented in the film, I just felt that it kind of bloated the story and distracted from the central themes uh, and storyline. You know what? That is, and I I completely agree with you. I think it's mm-hmm. in that sort of like that that dance that's hard because you know it's something they kind of have to do, right? Like she has to mm-hmm. get introduced now, moving forward. We're in phase four. She's going to become a character, but yeah. It was like it was like almost at some points felt like two movies because the rest of right. the movie felt so um, like serious, you know, mm-hmm. and there was like it was so weighty of what was happening yeah. that she kind of brought some light to it, which is which is mm-hmm. fine. But like I and right. that's, I thought you hit it perfectly. Like I don't have any problem with her character, with how it was presented. With the performance that she gave I thought she was kind of fun, cute yeah. Like there were a lot of positives to her She had a good sense of comedy and timing But it almost felt like it was When we would check in with her Like it was a different movie Yeah, it was. It felt like baggage to me uh, That was tagged on a little bit Forced by Kevin Feige Or you know, the greater MCU plans And you mentioned before how you know There's been some emptier you know, Entries in the MCU recently Where the only thing we're really grabbing onto is those connections to the greater MCU uh, and those little nuggets there. Um, luckily, this film, like you mentioned earlier, has that great central story and, and such strong themes and characters to to carry it uh, so that the, the the MCU stuff is just the extra stuff. So even if it's mm-hmm. a negative 
you know, it's we're it's still not buoyed by everything. The, this, you know, yeah, the, the, it's still got a strong foundation of a film on, underneath it. That stuff is just kind of kind of weighing it down a little bit, holding it back just a, l- a little bit. I do feel like the film was a little bit bloated in its runtime. I think it was 160 240. minutes. Yeah, 240 is just yeah. long, no matter what. Like, once you get over yeah. the 220, I mean, and these movies are all between, like, two and three hours, but once you start getting, like, 220, it is long. You know what I mean? Like, you and can, that's you where, can yeah, feel it. That's what it should have been. It should have been yeah. about 220. You could have chopped off just about 20 minutes, the yep. Riri Williams stuff, uh, save that for the Ironheart series, have her go back to Wakanda in the Ironheart series. That would Like, maybe really cool. you have... And see, what's hard is that I, like, I can kind of get it because that would have been something that would have probably been good for a post-credit in a movie like this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Introducing a new character, but yeah. they had a very good post-credit that they had to do for this movie. Right. That they felt like was the best way to, to leave it, which I agree. I do agree that the way they ended it was very powerful, and it was yes. a good way to finish. But you're right. Like, it, did you need her in this movie? Is probably a better would, way. I'd to say no. It. I don't think I'd so. Say flat out no. And I think yeah, if and, could, if, yeah. and if there would have been a way to maybe just get her introduced or like, and, and that's mm-hmm. hard, you know, because like we're saying, they had a lot to do in this movie, and I agree with you. Maybe you would have been better waiting for the next property or mm-hmm. had having her had pop up at the end of I don't know Miss Marvel something right that we had just watched recently. Yeah. To where she could have gotten introduced. She was a Mar- Kamala's friend or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, just who knows? But I do like, I do feel pretty confident about just, I like a lot of the newer characters that they've introduced. And we're going to get in right now and yeah. sort of go chronologically. But if you just sort of think about recently, like, I think Kamala's a, a pretty good hit. I like mm-hmm. Kate Bishop quite a bit. I like yeah. Yelena Belova quite a bit. I, um, I like uh, She-Hulk quite a bit. Like even even in our critiques about the series, very little of it was about the main character herself yeah. and in the role. Every and, character you just mentioned is, is a woman. I don't have yeah. anything against that, but I just thought that was interesting. It is too, right? And then Ironheart, you're right. They're all like sort yeah. of new in their women. And it's funny. I can like see them being friends. Like I kind of just want to have <laughs> like I kind of want to hear Kate and and Kamala talking. I feel like they'd be like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I feel like they're going to be yeah. really like, um, just like, I don't know, anxious with each other and funny. And just like, they could have some really like kind of silly, silly dialogue. So yeah. um, good on the MCU for some of these female characters they've been introducing. Let's dive into Wakanda forever. That is uh, been making a ton of money at the box office right now. I believe it's like the third highest grossing movie of the year so far um, out mm-hmm. at just about four weeks. And Man, we open in this movie with the the black, the darkness of the screen, and we hear the voice of Shuri, and she's praying to the god Bast. And what's important about this is, remember, Shuri is all about science. She's not someone who's into the spiritual and the gods. You don't hear Shuri praying, right? She's someone who is one of the smartest people, like top two, three smartest people in the world. And so... You can sense now if she's praying, something is seriously wrong, and that's yeah. the case. She's asking the god to allow her to heal her brother, which I think is like a sort of like a beautiful way to like ask God for something too, like a god. Yeah. Not even just asking him to save him, but let me save him because I can do this. 
just give me the power uh, to do this, you know? Right, right. She, we've seen her save how many people through the years from broken mm-hmm. backs, from gunshot wounds, from mm-hmm. all of these different injuries. But being one of the smartest people in the world, she still was unable to save her brother. She needs to regrow the heart-shaped herb that Killmonger destroyed when he destroyed all the herbs. And she's trying to use like synthetic uh, substances to, to recreate this. And every time she's doing it, it's spitting out a reed that's like 25%, 29%. Um, she knows that her brother's life is at stake. So she quickly just says 29%, print this thing out. But before she can finish, her mother, Ramondra, walks in. We can see it right on her face. She tells us that her brother is with the ancestors now that T'Challa has passed away. Really, really sad. A powerful way to open this movie. They don't Mm -hmm. speak about any cause for death, which I actually like quite a bit. Yeah. Then we don't, we're we're not asking about what happened. Was it in some battle? What kind of sickness? They don't even, they just kind of put it out there and we don't really even have to revisit it. And we don't even really think about it again much. I just, mm-hmm. um, it didn't feel exploitive, exploitative at all. This felt like a really nice way to kind of respectfully yeah. give him a tribute, have him written out, and not have to recast him, do all of these things. I thought it was, and man, like, they don't wait any time. You sit down in this movie in the first few minutes, like, you're probably tearing up. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I thought that that was a really smart way to handle it, um, to just address it right right away, to not have him die in some battle, not to show the Black Panther, you know, in a CG suit or something, you know, felled by some, you know, uh, foe that we haven't met yet. This is something that we can all relate to. Uh, we all have to face our own mortality, and the way that most of us uh, encounter that is through some sort of an illness. Uh, that's that's just the way of life. And we all know someone who's passed away from cancer or from from an illness. And uh, I know you've had your own brush with that. And thank God you're you're still with us and everything. Um, but uh, it uh, it's one of those things that it's just uh, a part of life and uh, it touches all of us. So doesn't matter how who what yeah. level you are. Right. And like you can be the black relatable. Panther. Right, the yeah, it, it happened to the actor. It happened to Chad. Yep. So it, it, it's felt like untouchable. Like way. he was right. a guy that felt like a a freaking superhero in real life. You know, yeah. he was such he was such a good person and so mm-hmm. well received and liked by everyone. There are few people in the world that are that universally loved. Yeah. Um, he, he was a superstar. I mean, he, he played Jackie Robinson. He, he Every played sense the Black of the word. Panther, this, this this deity god figure on the screen. He was an icon. Uh, and the short time that he was with us too, he was a young actor. Uh, but every role he had was significant, and he really made his mark uh, while he was here. And uh, I think it, it speaks volumes that the cast of this film and the people that he worked with have. Uh, been so tight knit and so outspoken about you know what a great person he was and celebrating him and dedicating this film to his memory. Um, I thought that that was appropriate and a beautiful thing, and uh, they handled it uh, the best way that they could. It was a bad situation. They were really handicapped going into this film, but everyone you know got together, worked together to to make something 
that was worthwhile. And I think audiences are really going to get a lot out of this and they're going to get a lot out of this exploration of grief, especially because it was a reflection of reality in, in such a direct way. It's not just um, inspired by reality. I mean, this is the direct result of the passing of uh, an, an individual who's so important to this whole thing. So, um, you know, it, it, ha it had to go down like this because of the tragedy of, of his death, but they handled it the best way they could. And then kind of on the flip side, it's another like dance that you have to be a little mm -hmm. careful with because you have a, there's a possibility when you start like this that it may mm -hmm. be hard to get the audience back. Right. Like when you yeah. kind of overwhelm them right off the bat with the emotions like this, sometimes that mm -hmm. can just kind of take you out of the rest of the movie because that's yeah. it's so powerful. And especially in this case, because it's real. This isn't like just yeah. a character in a movie passing away that we're oh, OK. Tony Stark is gone. Right. This is like a real yeah. life person and the character both gone. This could have been hard to like get your emotions in check and then get back into Shuri's journey. But I didn't feel that. Yeah. I, I think they did. No. Like I was able to get right back in and feel along with Shuri because now all of them must grieve. And it's almost like we're, yeah. we're grieving with them, you know, like with Shuri, we see the family and, and them weighing it, weighing on them. And yeah. we, we see the funeral ceremony and because of the Wakandans belief in the afterlife, death is not the end. So for them, a lot of it is like an upbeat celebration of life. And, and yeah, that's reflected in the colors too. Instead of all wearing black, they wear all, all white. There's this mm -hmm. bright um, visage to it. It's a, uh, it's a really beautiful sight to see. And the photography of uh, the scene was, was tremendous. And then we, uh, we have the Big tribute billboard in Wakanda with the picture mm -hmm. of of T'Challa. It says the Panther King yeah. forever lives in us and rests with the ancestors. And we get the Marvel MCU intro, but not your normal one. No music, yeah. no pictures or clips of any other Marvel characters, shows, or movies. This is all mm -hmm. Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa. As the Black Panther, different clips from him, different moments, different quotes that he has said in some of the movies. This was all T'Challa, all Black Panther. And I think it was, like you said, it's not one of those things where you want to wait too much either, because the more you wait, then people start thinking about, like, when are they going to do this? And then that becomes mm -hmm. like its own thing. So they address this right away. And now yeah. everybody's grieving. And we know that a real first like start to this movie is a year after the death. And we see how it has impacted everyone a year later. Yeah, I like that. I like the time jump. I like that they address it right away. I mean, when they went to the Marvel logo, uh, I dropped a little tear at that moment. Yeah, that was man. a really it was hard to to not that just the the deafening silence of that moment, those images, seeing the guy knowing that he's not with us anymore, knowing the loss. Um, putting yourself in the shoes of 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 you know that actor uh, facing his mortality at the top of his career that's a a, a horrifying uh, scary uh, predicament to be in it's very sad it's very tragic um, 
and uh, that that was reflected in in these opening moments. Uh, then jumping ahead by a year, I I think is great because it shows uh, we get to we get to see how the grief has affected the characters a little bit. Um, because sometimes th those effects aren't going to just happen right away. They're going to accumulate over time. They're going to reveal themselves. So jumping ahead by a year is perfect because it's it's just enough time for the effects to to set in, but also not enough time for the, the characters to be over it. It's kind of the sweet spot for the story. And when we see Queen Ramondra, who, I mean, we have to mention, Angela Bassett is getting, like, serious Oscar buzz for yeah. uh, for her performance in this movie. She has, like, three or four of these just epic speeches that she yeah. gives in monologues where she's just wearing this emotion on her face and just mm -hmm. tears and they're powerful and she's this leader of this nation now who's lost her son and who's lost her husband and she's just mourning but she still has to lead this group of people and this um this entity this entire um way of life of wakanda it's and you can feel it in her and yeah. she stands up at the united nations and the United States and France are kind of shaming Wakanda because they want access to vibranium and they want access to some of their heightened and additional technology. They want to be able to study this and share this. And this was something that T'Challa had agreed to years back. But ever since T'Challa has passed, the U.S. and France and some of the other nations around the world, now they think that Wakanda is vulnerable. So they've actually sent in teams to try to steal vibranium from some of the Wakanda outpost centers and from some of their like outreach centers around the world. So opposing nations now have tried to come in and steal them. We actually see this happening when the Dora Milaje had to stop um, a group of French soldiers from trying to come in and steal vibranium from Wakanda. And I love the way that they presented this. They, they actually capture the Wakandans capture the French soldiers and they bring them out at the UN and like yeah. in front of, and like parade them out in front of everyone. And she lets everyone know that Wakanda is strong. Wakanda will not back down. And she shows a, you know, a very like big, big uh, presence here um, mm. and, and firing back. And she kind of embarrasses some of the, the U.S. and French leaders here. Yeah, I loved this scene because it was such a, a showcase of um, of Wakanda's power. And uh, to, to your point about Angela Bassett's uh, performance as R Ramonda, she just brings so much energy and intensity into this role. She projects uh, a sense of, of power, of, of um, culture, of, uh, of ferocity, but also... Uh, she's wounded in this. She's dealing with that grief. You see all of this and everything that she does. She's so hurt and um, so fragile, yet powerful and strong. And you see her fighting, th those elements kind of fighting within her and her fighting to stand up and to hold the nation on her back. Um, she she does an excellent job of just showcasing all that through her her emotions, her voice, her 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 just presence in this film, and I, I think you're right. I think she could get a, a supporting actress I think so. nomination for this. You turned to me at one point after one of her speeches and said as much in the in the theater, and I'm right there with you. Uh, and I've seen, uh, I, as you mentioned, some articles, you know, calling for that, and I think that would be a, a terrific uh, thing to come out of this film. Yeah, 
uh, just a great scene as we move from that to the ocean expedition. So there is a group of of U.S. Uh, the, a group that's been led by the U.S. government that is on an ocean expedition searching for vibranium. They have one vibranium detector. It is a one-of-a-kind machine that has been created by a genius scientist girl that's like 19 years old that's in college. And we actually get to see – it kind of reminds me of like the beginning of Titanic. When you see them yeah. going in and they're looking for a lot of the uh, – they're looking for some of the remnants and you see the deep-sea um, exploration – and actually, Lake Bell is yeah. uh, the character that is sort of leading the ex- uh, the expedition. She voiced the voice of yep. uh, uh, Natasha Black in Widow. What If. Yeah. In, uh, what If, yeah, of Black Widow. Double and, dipping, double dipping. One of the Black- few uh, actors to, to portray multiple uh, characters within the MCU. Yeah, uh, so and that, that cool. was actually the last thing that Chadwick Boseman did. His voice was used in What right. If. Um, also, yeah. so um, we got to we got to hear him one last time in in that show, and in this ocean exploration, as they go deeper into the sea, they find something, and it's glowing, and it does look like vibranium. But as they're trying to investigate it, they see a big jellyfish and some really unique kind of deep sea wildlife, and all of a sudden the two. Deep sea explorers are both gone. They're yeah. cut off. They're they've lost all um, contact with them on the radios. They can't see them based on their cameras anymore. And a group of people have like risen out of the sea, and they're all blue, and they look sort of like mermaid type people. You know, it's funny as Avatar is yeah. coming up, they have a very similar yeah. look to some of the characters in Avatar, you know? There's so um, there's so many parallels. I mean it's the way of water. They got yes. these blue characters. Uh I, I I find that fascinating and very interesting. I already have my tickets to Avatar. I can't wait to compare the two. Um I, I think in some ways it'll be an unfair comparison. But uh, I think that was a, just a really interesting cultural thing uh that happens all the time where like a movie will come out and then there's this like uh, parallel film that comes out with within months right. of, of that right release. That's to kind it. of the same. It's the, the deep impact Armageddon uh, scenario. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, well, isn't it like Volcano and Dante's Peak? Volcano you know, like and Dante's those, Peak. Yeah. Those, yeah. <laughs> those volcanoes. Yeah. So this is this is 2022's version of that. <laughs> and we, for, for, so as we introduce the ta- the <laughs> Talokans. So I I, yeah. um, I I think they're called they're from Talokan. I think they're called Talokanils. Yeah. Is like how they've they're like referenced ah. as um, they are. Th- this group of people was based off of Atlantis, um, yeah. and, and the reason why they don't just use Atlantis is because it would get confusing for multiple reasons. Because Atlantis has mm-hmm. become kind of this mythical thing. So now, yeah. when you introduce them, they can have their own sort of backstory that's not going to confuse people and tie into maybe all these other things. But yeah, it, it differentiates from the DC version from Aquaman with, with like, Aquaman. I think and because primarily, honestly, they came Namor came before Aquaman, right? In, right in comics, he actually was a character was one of the earlier characters in the MCU, and yeah. he was just the someone who mutant. wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't like a, a a consistent character, but he would pop in and out all the time. And like yeah. a lot of these characters that we've come to meet, sometimes he was a hero, sometimes he yeah. was a villain. 
and, and he would be a foil for them. Um, but the way they were presented, they can actually they have some of these unique abilities. Um, first off, Namor, who is also referenced as uh, Kukulan, he mm-hmm. is Marvel's first mutant, but he actually has unique abilities that most that the other Talokans don't have. He because his mother was pregnant when she ended up becoming um, the the new version of them. She ended up in in uh, imbibing in an herb that transformed everyone. But she had had her son, and so he has some of the the strengths of both human and both of a mutant. And so he mm-hmm. can actually fly. He has like little wings on his feet, kind of like take yeah. like it's. And they're little too So he can fly like fast And like very accurately Like just like all over Like pinpoint accuracy This dude is Like they presented him Incredibly well And in just reading about How like how strong they wanted him to be They talk about this guy As being as strong as the Hulk Like that's He is and he can fly He can I mean, he is incredible, and he came off yeah. so well when they presented him. Yeah, I loved the way that they built uh, Talokan and and Namor in this film. The way they reconceived him was brilliant. The way they used Mayan uh, mythology mm-hmm. and history to you know to to base this uh, around the civilization. Uh, that's just something plague. that they've done so This is so like well. the real life stuff, right? The Yucatan right. people in the plague right. in the, the 1570s. This is stuff that we learned in history. Yeah, even when um, when Namor comes back and sees uh, the the um, the colonists there, there's like a, a you know a plantation. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe that's inspired by uh, a slave rebellion that happened in Haiti. If I'm not yep. mistaken, so yep. there there's a lot of history that goes into it, and a lot of you know historical fiction and mythology that plays into it so well. Um, even things like utilizing the idea of the siren song, and they, these the Talokans they they use the siren songs to draw the the sailors, uh, you know, to just walk into the water, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like Pied Piper. They, I thought that was a really them. cool. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool aspect of it, and just the idea that they differentiated from. Uh, the Aquaman mythology and made it grounded in real world, which is what mm-hmm. Marvel does best. You know, they have real cities uh, and real countries that are being reflected in the world. Obviously, there's fake ones like like Wakanda uh, and a lot of stuff that doesn't happen, but it's all based or inspired by real things, which makes it feel that much more grounded and and uh, and it makes the more fantastical elements feel more plausible in some mm-hmm. ways. So it and just even, it, it's so smart the way to handle it. Even in like just a simple way of like this looks a lot better down like the underwater yeah. Talokan looks way better than like underwater worlds that we've seen before. It yeah I, I just thought it felt more lived in, more real. And mm-hmm. it, almost everything about how they presented this new character and this new group I thought was very well done. Like you mentioned yeah. the hypnotics, the, the, they were able to sing and force this entire boat of people to basically walk off into the ocean on their own demise. It was yeah. compared to Greek mythology when they'd have the Greek women that would be on the, <laughs> like on the shores and they would sing yeah. to lure the sailors in and the then sirens. they would, yeah. Uh, the, exactly. Yeah. And then the, they would end up killing them, you know, they, uh, because of it. It was, um, yeah. 
just real, really steeped in like real world history. And we do find out that they have to wear masks to breathe on land because the Talicans are all water based. They and so they need to be close to and in and around the water. But they are a nation that is rich in vibranium. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get introduced to their leader, Namor, in just a moment. First, we check back in over at Wakanda with Shuri. We see what she's been working on, trying to keep busy. She's doing a very Tony Stark thing here, right? Like, just going right back into her work when she's dealing with emotional stuff. And she's working on a Midnight Angel suit. This is an exosuit that she wants for some of the Dora Milaje to have additional fighting powers. But Queen Ramonda stops her. She wants to take Shuri out to a river, so to a campfire, because they need to complete the ritual of the burning of the garments, which is kind of like their final step in the grieving process when you lose someone. Because it's been a year now. But this is like one of those things that you, you imagine like Ramonda's probably at, talked to Shuri about, and Shuri's kind of keep pushing it away. No, I, I'm too busy, or I've got work, or I've got some. In my head, at least, I've I've kind of envisioned them have had this conversation a couple times, and she's been like, "Oh no, we'll do it later." Or, I don't want to do right. it. She's, I think, she's kind of scared to maybe feel like she's going to be moving on from her brother and from mm-hmm. you know the the legacy of her brother. But we see Ramonda and Shuri head out to have this grieving moment together, but Shuri is not. She's not mentally there yet. In fact, yeah. you know, she's blaming herself because she couldn't save him. And she says, if I have to sit here and think about my brother for too long, it won't be these clothes I burn. It'll be yeah. the world and everything in it, which she's is stuck. very important. You she's know, stuck in the anger stage of grief. And yeah. that line is basically what draws out Namor. The as these two women who are having a very important, serious conversation, they get interrupted in their home of Wakanda by Namor, who introduces mm-hmm. himself, and he's just enamored with Wakanda overall and how in Namor. In oh, but I'm <laughs> very well done, very well done there, TK. As I'm a, stupid. I'm stupid. <laughs> yeah, nice, <laughs> nicely done. As he is just looking around. And both Ramondra and Churi are are scared. They don't know who the hell this guy is. But yeah. he he you know does have a pretty good point. He says, "Look, mm-hmm. we've been living down underwater for hundreds of years. Nobody bothers us. We have vibranium, and nobody even knew. But because of your brother T'Challa making everybody aware of vibranium, now the rest of the world is searching for it." And we just had to deal with these people who were trying to come into our home, trying to find our vibranium. And they fought back. They attacked the ship, did the Tolokans, and they mm-hmm. killed a bunch of people on that ship. And so what's ended up happening now, there's kind of like um, there, there's some confusion because the rest of the world doesn't know about Talacon. Yeah. So to the rest of the world, if they see vibranium, that equals Wakanda. Anywhere. So the U.S., French, all the embassies, all the U.N., as far as they're concerned, hell, as far as Wakanda is concerned, nobody anywhere has vibranium except for Wakanda. 
So in finding this information out, it is kind of shocking to Shuri, to Ramondra, to Okoye, to all of the people of Wakanda. They've they've been told these tales like like religious tales that their people was like a chosen people. And now they're finding right. out that a lot of what they have learned throughout their life is not true. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's right in front of their face too, because uh, Namor is covered uh, in, uh, in vibranium. Uh, sure. He recognizes uh, it on him, which I thought was really interesting to raped, I, right? It's just, yeah, yes. Yeah. I wasn't. I, I was. I was interested there because I, I. I was wondering how she could tell that just looking at it. Like I, you know, I. I can't. I don't have a trained eye to, to spot vibranium, but I imagine she's worked with it quite a bit. Uh, but I thought that this scene was. Um, it stood out to me a little bit. Uh, there's something clunky about it. I'm not exactly sure. I, I, I know. I, can, the, I know what you mean. I, is it like visually? I don't know. There was. It was. It, I, yeah. I, I know what you well, mean. The the it, conversation it, 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 with Shuri. Up. The conversation with Shuri and Ramonda has uh, importance to it. I wonder if it's a little bit bloated, though, uh, in in the, the back and forth, if, if, if it could have been trimmed down somewhat. But then the way that uh, Nemor just shows up out, out of the blue, it feels a little bit convoluted, a little bit forced, like that he would just be there, there on this private thing, uh, you know, by a, a river. Uh, you would assume that, like, how would... Namor even know that know where they are. They're there. I so, know. and it, he, it's all the way inland inside of um, Africa. I saw new rock stars kind of broke it down where they were saying that he, he could have swum up the Nile. So it's possible. It's plausible, but it's something about it seemed mostly implausible and something about it seemed clunky. And then the reveal at the end that the, the machine was there, I didn't even understand. Like visually, I didn't understand what happened. Was the machine all already there? Or did he just like throw it out of the water in that moment? Because there was no sound effect to reflect that. You just see this machine there that they just was, notice all of a sudden. It was and a it's just dripping water. All of this, right? It yeah, was like. Too perfect. Yes. And I, I agree with you. I kept felt, feeling like there was something a little bit off. But it's clunky. You know, he <laughs> explains to them, hey, look, you did this. So now we need your help. It's going to be you and us teaming up together against the rest <laughs> of the world. First, we just want to go kill the scientist that created this machine. There's a vibranium detector. And as you said, all of a sudden, Ramondra and Shuri look, and then that vibranium detector is right behind them. Right, right. Uh, that, that confused the hell out of me. I, like me this, too. The spatial aspect of it. I didn't understand how it happened. How it I agree. Down, so. <laughs> but he, he, his, real, um, his real motivation is protecting his people. He mm-hmm. wants to keep his people safe, his homes safe, and keep the vibranium. So he told uh, Shuri and Ramonda, go find the scientist, bring her to us so we can kill her, and we can get rid of this vibranium detector. So Shuri tries to enlist in, it, in one of the folks that she knows that will help her, Agent Ross. She, mm-hmm. uh, she and Okoye go to ask Agent Ross for info about the scientist. And they find out that this scientist is Riri Williams, who is Ironheart. She's a genius college student, and she is building – I mean, she's just 
building everything She's building a Stark Tech Iron Man suit She's already built this vibranium uh, detector We actually see her like scamming some other kids in uh, in class Like in college that are mm-hmm. paying her and Venmoing her to do to do like odd jobs and yeah. stuff for them and, That was funny And I thought it was funny when Shuri and Okoye enter her dorm And mm-hmm. She tries to pick up a space heater to fight them. Yeah. Like Shuri's got her spear or uh, Okoye's got the spear and she's kind of laughing. So I yeah. like she's she's some good comic relief, but yeah, it's it's hard because like now our first 30 or 40 minutes have been this really like powerful like death and mourning and we're going to move past this and now Shuri and then we've been introduced to Namor and then there's kind of like brevity and like light it, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Like, not every movie is just going to be like dark, and it can't right. be. It, it, it can't be right. You need some some comedy in there, but yeah, you, you definitely you can feel, it. could feel like a change. You know, um, uh, absolutely. And uh, this may it makes me think about just like again, did we need even this character or this storyline? I think that the the story can work with just a few slight changes uh, mm-hmm. removing. Uh, Riri, you have Shuri there who could be the person who created this tech that has, uh, you know, that Namor wants. And then you could have um, Shuri be the person that Namor maybe kidnaps for that reason. And then that that starts the whole conflict and -hmm. everything plays out essentially the same from there, just without Riri and without those distractions. And I think you can keep everything a little bit more streamlined and focus on the Namor uh, and uh, Shuri and Wakanda dynamic. There's a lot there. There's a lot of characters. There's M'Baku. There's uh, you know, the, 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 there's a whole. They're juggling a lot already. It was a, so it was to, a good movie for M'Baku. I'm glad you mentioned him. Yes, this was a yes. great movie for him. He got to really mm-hmm. elevate himself. I thought. Agreed. He he had. He calls. What does he call Okoye? A bald headed demon. That was yes, hilarious. That was the, that, was, that was, so, was one of the biggest laughs of the of the movie for me. So funny. And then he <laughs> yeah. says. We'll kill the fish man. You know, like he's screaming yes, about yes. like Namor. And and then at the end, when you realize that, you know, Ramondra, who's spoiler alert, we're gonna talk about it in a minute, when she passes away, yeah. he actually yeah. has to be like um a consoling voice and yeah. like a sounding board for Shuri, which and he he's gives stage wisdom. Like, yeah, he's yeah. usually like comic relief or like the dumb jock. You know, so yeah. getting to see him in that role and then at the end challenging for the throne, I thought this was a very good movie yes. for him overall, too. And like the actor with so Duke did a great job and, and he just sort of feels more important now coming out of this. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm glad I heard he was actually supposed to die in the film in the original draft. He was wow. one of the characters that was going to die. And oh, you can so kind of see, yeah. see the remnants of that in the story in. Uh, the moment, jumping ahead a little bit, it's one of my favorite moments in the film. I thought he died for a second. When he gets uh, he hit gets in the chest. Punched by, yeah, and I thought, I, I, there's a moment, it's a close-up where you see Namor's fist go into his chest arm and it just shatters the thing. And I, for that moment, I'm not sure if I'm looking at his flesh literally being ripped apart or if he's punching through his heart or something, you know. I thought that, that he might be toast after that, but, you know, cuts cuts to him smashed through a bar and, and, you know, catching his breath. So, you know, he survives and obviously he's, he's challenging for the throne by the end of the film, which is a great way to wrap up his, uh, his character for this, this movie. Uh, but yeah, I, I loved Winston Duke in this and I loved the depth that they added to his character and he's eating one of the most delicious looking carrots, carrots. I've ever seen in one of, in one of these, uh, 
in one of the scenes there, which is also a callback to that they're vegetarians. Mm -hmm. So they must be some really nutritious uh, vegetables and carrots. There's one that looks like this most beautiful shade of red that I've ever seen. And I want to eat that carrot every day, if possible, if it actually exists. And he he opens uh, when some of the Wakandans get displaced because uh, the Telokans come in and flood Wakanda. He opens his mm. doors to some of the the folks who right. need housing and home. Like he just really good dude, and and really steps up throughout a lot of this movie. As our three female characters are now together with re uh, with Riri Williams, with Shuri, and with Okoye. Riri lets us know that there's an entire YouTube channel dedicated to sightings of her, as uh, people see her out in the the suits sometimes. Yeah. And so is, is Kamala Khan commenting there? You know oh, what I mean? Like that. There you go. You're right. That's a nice. lot of parallels between World these these uh, characters, and yeah. it's very similar to the way that uh, Spider-Man was introduced. You know, he was this uh, character that was doing his own thing uh, on his own, developed his own tech, uh, but but was kind of a, a meme, kind of a viral uh, thing. You know, like people were aware of him. That's how Tony, you know, knew to track him down uh, in. Um, uh, in Civil War, so I, I think that's a really interesting kind of dynamic that they're playing out, you know, across the board in the MCU. Is that these characters are are developing their own stories, you know, kind of along the sidelines, you know, while the Avengers are fighting these huge battles. There's these stories that are happening off screen uh, that we're not quite privy to, but are smaller, more ground level stories. Uh, and then uh, we're being introduced to these uh, characters that are going to be the main characters in the MCU, you know, one or two films down the line. But uh, right now we're just, we're just getting the the taste. So the cops are now looking for all of them. Riri Williams, mm-hmm. uh, Koye, and Shuri. Keep in mind, the U.S. thinks that Wakanda is involved with the right. attack on this ocean expedition ship. So they're, they're searching for the Wakandans and they're, they're, they're going to basically get aggressive now and, and come after Wakanda. So we see this chase scene, and mm-hmm. we actually oh, see how the one of the, the funniest. We we can't we can't we can't skip ahead. The warehouse scene. The feds oh, okay. are closing in. The feds are closing in. Riri's showing some of her tech, and there's this great moment where one of the cops says the line of the film. Oh shit! You got an Iron Man suit. <laughs> That's, it's I, so. I, I died laughing when you and I it. both were just dying. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like um. The line, there was a, like there was like a passing line like that in She-Hulk that was really funny too. You know, like yeah. just from, like off screen that was like, oh shit, she's in an Iron Man. It just it's so funny the timing. And like I think I said to you, I was like, it almost sounds like it's like Tracy Morgan. Yes, yeah. But like it's like the way it is. It's like such a funny like oh shit. Like thank you. Thank you for mentioning. I don't know it. who did that line, the the extra or like, the guy that they got to do the more. ADR there. Pay them it. more. Pay them yeah. more. Give um, them the whole film. <laughs> so the Talicans now are also trying to find Riri Williams. So now we have this like this chase where Riri and Okoye and Shuri are being chased by the U.S. police mm-hmm. and officers. And they're also being chased by the Talokins. And we actually see some of the incredible, the unique sort of weapons that the Talokins have. They use water bombs and water grenades. Oh, so cool. Like, really badass. 
they have whales, like huge whales that are yeah. like that spout jump up out of nowhere and yeah. these massive beings that help them in battle. And they were able to, after a really cool back and forth with Okoye and a character that was named Atoma, who is one of the, mm. the Talokan um, generals, Okoye is defeated in battle, still alive, but defeated yeah. at the moment. And so Shuri and Riri end up going back to Talokan with Namor is, you know, this breaks Queen Ramonda. She actually relieves Okoye of her duties for losing Shuri. And you can tell that Ramonda has got a couple things that she's still upset about. She mentions Killmonger and she mentions yeah. a couple things that bothered her about Okoye in the past. So it feels yeah. like she was still holding on to some, uh, some, some past feelings about Okoye. Yeah. She lets her have it. And I mean, it's a powerful uh, scene. I, I don't know if that's the one that you turned to me and said, wow, she going to get the uh, Oscar. So. Yeah. I think but, it I was. Mean, yeah, she, that, that's a really standout moment. And, um, Okoye in that moment um, it, it is incredibly vulnerable and you see just how this character is just dedicated their life and wants to die for their uh, for their country and uh, and cause uh, but is being denied that and it just you see the 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 grief and the guilt and the desperation in her performance uh, it's it's really powerful um, and just rewinding a little bit to that showdown on the on the bridge so cool so ruthless seeing uh, seeing her have to defend yeah. against vibranium weapons against vibranium she's never had to do and and the fact that she fells you know four or five guys uh pretty easily but then they rise if they seem to be you know mm -hmm. indestructible or immortal so she's beaten them technically but they they just don't die and then <laughs> you got this big dude Forgive me, I forget his name, but he, he was he was fantastic. Um, he was just seemed so imposing and and scary and and uh, uh, everything about it the 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 music, the way that the cops show up and they just kill him right away, like that the ruthlessness of it uh, really adds a sense of of just foreboding and tension, and you really take these uh, villains uh, seriously in in this story. And the fact that they give them a backstory where you're kind of siding with them a little bit. Um, and or at least uh, uh, identifying with them and sympathizing or empathizing with them, uh, that just makes it all the more interesting to, to watch this battle play out, you know, because you don't want to see the the, the, the Talokans uh, killed uh, any more than you really want to see anybody no. else killed in the film that even though they're the, the, the villains, you, you, you want kind of justice to happen in the end. You want them to, to to resolve their differences. But, man, is it interesting when they're going at it with each other? And uh, we get to check out Valentina Allegria DeFontaine. Exactly. Julia Louis-Dreyfus <laughs> is back, Val. And she's yeah. the current CIA director. She's legit. Um, this is Ross's ex-wife. That was a huge revelation, by the way. That was a like big a moment. moment. He, yeah. and, you know, Ross has been saved by Shuri and Ross has this mm -hmm. connection with Shuri to where Shuri and him yeah. help each other out. They give each other information all the time. But when Val he has loyalty to the Wakanda, exactly. he uh, owes her, he owes yeah. her, uh, you know, yeah. but Val finds this out and she actually has him arrested when she yeah. finds out yeah. that he's still interacting with Shuri. What ends up happening yeah. is Shuri leaves one of her, um, one of her uh, bracelets 
at the at, at the scene where she was yeah. taken. Um, at, in kind of like a Hansel and Gretel leave the breadcrumbs for uh, for a, for Ross, hopefully to find yeah. it, and he can hopefully find her. But while he's trying to do all of this, Val finds out about it, and so now we yeah. can we can place a mental math. Val is building her team of the Thunderbolts, mm-hmm. and now like she has a legitimate office. She, this is going to be something that yeah. is like coming like coming from U.S. direction, the U.S. government direction. Yeah. And we know a little bit about her motivations, too. Uh, you know, later on in the film, when when she is bringing the hammer down on her ex-husband there, uh, she she says how much she dreams about having all the vibranium under, uh, you know, U.S. control. Uh, and that's something that would require, I think, probably war with Wakanda, because Wakanda has yeah. been very clear about their uh their stance on vibranium they do mm-hmm. not share it do not al- allow any vibranium to go outside of the borders of their country uh even later on in the film uh when riri williams is going back home from wakanda after she's built this you know next gen uh ironheart suit with vibranium in wakanda she's not allowed it to take that back wakanda. to mit it yep. has to stay in there and shuri has the opportunity there as pretty much the leader in that moment to go, ah, I, I can change the rules. You can do it, but no, she honors that that rule. She continues that tradition, uh, and because it's very important to the the safety uh, of of the country. If if they lose that that power, their um, their right to exist might be you know impeded. They're they're going to be attacked. Uh, they've they will lose the their 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 place as essentially the superpower in the world. Which a side note, that's something that was kind of put on front street in this film like that Wakanda is the like the world superpower I thought that was a really interesting layer uh, of the MCU onion here um a few years back Wakanda was thought of as like a third world nation with like a a lot of mystery around it yeah 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 but once they revealed themselves everybody knows oh oh shit no actually Wakanda's like light years ahead of all of us so that's a really interesting dynamic because the rest of the world is now super threatened by Wakanda. And that kind of informs the the stance that they take there. I mean, we see initially there's French mercenaries trying to rob the, the vibranium from Wakanda. They're they're becoming more and more isolated. That puts them also in a uh, a great position for an alliance with uh the, the Talokan people. And that's exactly why Namor is is uh motivated to strike up this uh this uh you know, uh, alliance with the Wakandans initially, you know, because they, they, it's them against the world essentially. So Ramondra now doesn't really have very many places to turn. She has to go find Nakia, um, Nakia, the wife of her fallen son, Chichala. Nakia has left Wakanda and has been living in Haiti and, um, recently, but Nakia has a past in, like she was military spy, right? Like just like high, like a mm-hmm. high level operative for Wakanda. Like this is the type of thing that she has done. Like yeah. missions like this, where she'd have to go in secure someone. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she's she's in um, enlisted by Ramondra for help to go find Shuri, and we and then the, this next little bit is really all about Talakon and our introduction mm-hmm. to this underwater nation. As yeah. Shuri is taken deep into the water with Riri, but they only want to take Shuri into Talakon. Namor takes her one on one. 
First, he actually forces <laughs> her to wear like a traditional garment. So this is super villain behavior, TK. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is only stuff, which is another good line from Riri Williams, because she's yeah. right. Like, you see these kind of things in like Star Wars and like other places where like, make you wear this very nice white garment. Yep. And then, uh oh, something's about to happen. But honestly, nothing bad happens to Shuri at this moment. Namor mm-hmm. just shows her around. They take her. They go through like this tunnel and we get yeah. their origin story. Now the Spanish yeah. conquistadors gave his mother smallpox and they prayed to their local God. This was back in 1570 and mm-hmm. the God led them to a plant, to an herb that was underwater that was sprouting from a vibranium rock in drinking from that plant. It made them transform as people who could live forever, but people who needed water, they really couldn't live on the land. And mm-hmm. when they are outside of the water, they actually turn blue, except for Namor, because he is a mutant. His mother was pregnant when she took the herb. So he was actually the first born of this new species, for the most part, this new mutated species. And he has become their leader. Because of this, yeah. they actually look at him as as if he's a god, and we mm-hmm. see him as a young child. And um, this was a scene that you referenced where he's fulfilling his mother's dying wish. His mom dies, but when she asked when she passed away if she could be buried on land, and so he leads a group of the Talikins to bury his mother. But they encounter some colonists, and mm-hmm. they just wipe this group of people right off of. They are like right off of the land, kill them, fire everywhere. And you can see the terror in the eyes of some of the local people looking at this child who they're calling Mm -hmm. uh, the devil and a freak. And they actually refer to him as El Nino Se Amor. Yeah, he was given the name The Boy Without Love. So clever. that Whoever came up with that uh, as the the connection here of why they call him – Namor oh, was so so clever. I got it, I get goosebumps so kind of thinking about it right now, like watching yeah. it back. It was really well done. It really was, uh, and just everything about the the presentation of uh, Namor was really cool. You you touched on it a little b- before, but when when we see the full breadth of his like abilities, and he's up there zigzagging in the sky with his winged feet, and he's he's, he's, he's grabbing so agile, out he's of the sky, like, he's doing yeah. Superman like Thor. Hulk stuff on top of like I mean it is he is so powerful and you could tell he's so like motivated and like singularly focused and he has you know that's the difference between him and some of the other you know like a maybe like the good version of a Steve Rogers that they had to kind of you know like you motivate him a little bit more when he fights someone that's more evil that has more like is there something more pushing him that you get that yeah. sense from Namor that he has this this like extra motivation than than some of the oh, other yeah. characters right a little a righteous indignation you know mm-hmm. like he's and he's also uh got that that classic trope uh aspect of his personality where he's he's aging slower than everyone around him. Mm-hmm. So that's giving him a uh, disconnect uh, to the, the, his mortality, his humanity, his mm-hmm. empathy a little bit. So that's, I think, part of what drives his um, his turn toward, you know, villainy. 
here. Uh, but because it's motivated by this, you know, real trauma and that he is also caring about his people and 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 motivated by that and, and wanting to protect this beautiful civilization that's developed that he's been in charge of. Um, that's another reason why we also kind of support and empathize with him. So he's just such a, a great flawed, but uh, unique and like really well drawn out character. Uh, so I, I think that uh, pretty much everything about Namor in this film was a win. Like they, yeah. they just really yeah. nailed it. And uh, it's, it speaks to, I think the initial draft was always going to have uh, Namor. So they really mm -hmm. spent a lot of time developing this the, the world and the character so that this was you know uh it should have been one of the strongest aspects of the film because it was one of the the central you know ideas for unchanged yep yeah. yep and we continue to look at uh talacon i like how they have uh how they greet each other it, it's like an open-handed salute yeah. it looks like they have yeah. like it looks like what you would do to mimic like a shark's mouth like an right, opening yeah. with your hands where you're like open wide. It's kind of cool. Right, it's like yeah. the way they, they would like wave to each other or like bow that you would see. That's that's their unique ritual. And, yeah. and Namor gives Shuri a bracelet. It's a gift. And I actually thought this was a very important scene um, uh, mm -hmm. for Shuri and an, an important like few moments for her. Because keep in mind now that. Shuri is talking to someone who is a leader of people, and she will very soon become someone who has to be a leader of people. Right. And that's not a role yeah. that she's used to. She's the tech person. Like right. she doesn't she doesn't inspire people and and she doesn't really even like people, honestly. Yeah. She likes machines and she's like always working on stuff. So I think she actually learns a lot from this interaction with Namor mm -hmm. because for as crazy as the guy is, he truly does want to do what's best for his people. But mm -hmm. like always, he goes too far. You know, he yeah. he wants to attack the world instead of waiting to be attacked. And he wants Wakanda to become basically their ally or their enemy, like no in between. And he You're sees that parallel within Shuri that she, you know, he heard per se, uh, by the river that she would want to burn the world down. He, he, uh, brings that back up to her, uh, mm -hmm. in this moment and reminds her of that. Uh, and so that they have that in, in common. And so he sees that as an opportunity for them to unite, uh, and, and, uh, create a, a front against the world together. You know, they, ha they are these two superpowers that, uh, you know, Wakanda just was revealed. Uh, Talokan still has yet to be revealed to the world. Uh, and uh, from what they imply, I, I believe uh, Talokan is an even larger civilization than Wakanda, more powerful. If they were to go at it on a long-term war, uh, my assumption is that uh, Talokan has – yeah. they, they, they might win, yeah, unless Wakanda gets really clever about it. You know, there's underdog stories. Of, but, you know, they the, the point being the Wakandans would be the underdogs in that mm -hmm. fight. So – uh, I, I think it's just a, a really cool moment there where the characters, they have so much in common, but this is kind of like the the turning point or the beginning of where they're going to split and, and diverge. But for a while, they're going to they're going to stay you know parallel to each other until Shuri is able to kind of overcome this this grief and the, the anger stage of, of this grief. She's moving through that. And that's that's part of the her arc in this story. So while. Shuri is down in Talakon. 
Romandra actually goes to meet with Namor. Um, Namor gave Ramonda and Shuri a conch shell as a way to interact with him whenever they wanted to speak with him to let him know that they found the scientist. Well, Ramandra goes to ask Namor about Shuri. And he asks, she asks, you know, do you have Shuri? Is she with you? While they are talking, it actually opens up a window for Nakia. Nakia <laughs> finds a land portal down into Talakon. She's actually able to get to Shuri and Riri and get them safely back to Wakanda. But in doing so, she kills one of the Talakons, who's actually, I think, a family member of uh, of Namor. And I think she actually kills two. A couple of she them. Kills, okay. She kills one guard uh, initially, and then there's another guard that she shoots. Uh, and then she tries to, uh, to go save, but they don't have enough time. And Nakia says it's 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 a fatal shot anyway, so it's a moot point. We got to get the hell out of here. Um, and th- and that's so, yeah. that's the powder keg, right? Like that's it. Yeah. That the the, yeah. the 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 one killing of a of a Talakan is what. War. Yep, that is war, and that yeah. sends the Talakans to invade Wakanda, and we yeah. see Namor absolutely going nuts, dude. The like this oh, yeah. five ten minutes when they just absolutely destroy Wakanda. He's throwing ships from the sky, plucking them out, water bombs everywhere. They're flooding Cutting Wakanda. <laughs> this is when he crushes yeah. M'Baku right in the chest and like punches through his yeah. chest plate. And they say uh, a quote I was reading from some of the creators of this. They said he is as strong as Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was close to water, he may even be stronger than Hulk. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he flies with those ankle wings, and he comes yeah. up at eye level with Ramandra, and he floods the basically the palace and kills Ramandra. Yeah, she drowns, and uh, she goes out a hero though. She goes out literally saving Riri, who's mm-hmm. under the water, uh, I think unconscious, and she's got a a, a long way to swim up. Uh, but she, instead of choosing to swim right up and save herself, she swims over to Riri and then, you know, forces her all the way up. And obviously takes twice as long because of how, um, you know, the a- added weight. So she just barely makes it to the surface, saves Riri, but drowns herself. Really, really great, powerful ending to uh, to her character. And uh, it's just a really sad kind of shocking oh. moment to see her floating there face down. Um, as Shuri enters the room, uh, and you just feel for Shuri as soon as yeah. she walks in. Like, how much loss has she had? Like, yeah. since we've seen her, it's been dad gone, brother gone, right. now mom gone. Yeah. Oh. Um, and now, in a weird, sort of sick, ironic way, now Namor kind of flies over and he says, Now you're in charge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so now the pressure is on Shuri to make decisions for Wakanda. And now not only is she going to have to grieve for her fallen mother, she's going to have to step up and decide what they need to do to protect her na- her, her nation. All of these people yeah. who are now at risk. There are thousands of people who have now are out of their homes. A bunch of Wakandans just died because of this invasion. Yeah. How, what do you do? 
now. Um, so yeah. and and uh, to, interestingly enough, you know, now more is kind of approaching it like, yeah, now okay, you learned your lesson. Now come back to me. We're we're gonna do what we initially planned. Like okay, mm-hmm. we're gonna we're, we're gonna join forces now. Did you learn your lesson? Like he's got kind of that kind of mindset. Because like, for him, it, it was only it was like, hey, look, that was just a little taste. Yeah, right? yeah, that, yeah. We could so do a lot do what more than that. That yeah. was just a little uh, to show you a little preview of of our power. And so. Yeah. What does Wakanda do? How do they respond? They use their resources. They use their smarts. They have Mm -hmm. Shuri. They have a genius Riri Williams in there. And so Shuri now is able to use some of the herb from the Talokan bracelet that that she was first. um, But first they invoke the power. Of the montage. We need a montage. Oh, oh montage. we have to have a montage. There's always got to be a montage. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's no. how they make it happen. That's how they make it happen. And it's a double montage because we get the Riri making the Ironheart suit. And we get the Shuri making the plant. Boom, the boom, one-two punch. We yeah, got it. And you know what? Time. We've got Julia Louie in here. We yada, yada, yada. Right? By the way, there was a maybe... Two or three lines from her that I was like, Elaine? I know. Did Elaine just come out there? That is Elaine? 110% Elaine? <laughs> like, no doubt no about it. You could feel it there. As, um, yeah, Shuri uses some of that herb from the Talokan bracelet, and it completes the heart-shaped herb. And so um, <laughs> Ross helps give a little bit of information to Shuri and the Wakandans. That's why Ross is in, in jail now. And... Mm-hmm. We actually see, like you said, throughout the montage, we see Riri and Shuri study the Talokan DNA because they're trying to find mm-hmm. a weakness for Namor and for the Talokans. And so right. in in doing so, they do find a weakness. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first – It's a triple montage. I, yeah, I was wrong. Is. I said double right. montage. This it's is a, a triple. triple they're, it's trips. They're, find, they're developing two of their strengths. And then they're finding one weakness. It's a triple montage. You're it's right. Beautiful. It is. As uh, we also see Shuri now realizing that she must become the Black Panther. So she sips the herb and she goes to the ancestral plane. And as she swims up, this was a moment that people were kind of nervous about because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you wondered who she was going to see. Everyone, when they go into the ancestral plane, they have a different vision. They see someone who they may relate to or someone that they need to um, they may have unfinished business with or something along those lines. We we thought that maybe she was going to f- swim up and see T'Challa. And mm. I was worried about that because are they going to do CGI? Yeah. Is it going to come off? How is it going to look or sound? Are they going to like use his real voice? Which the, I, this was perfect the way they did this. Yep. Don't yep. Don't mess with it, but let's bring back someone that everybody loves to see. Because yeah. this, the performance of Michael B. Jordan in Killmonger has been <laughs> widely touted as like one of the best MCU performances, one of the best yeah. villain performances in a movie ever. And it totally fits and makes sense because we heard Shuri speak the same words that Killmonger yeah. spoke about wanting to burn the world down. These are the yep. feelings that she has right now. You can understand why she might see him and he challenges her. Yeah. And 
She wants to avenge her family just like he did. He criticizes her brother. He criticizes her father. But what's great, he actually upholds her mother and says, don't you disrespect your mother. She put her life on the line for somebody else. Your brother's a hypocrite. Your dad is a coward. And the quote that stands out and that is like, whoa. Uh, Killmonger asks Shuri, are you going to be noble like your brother? Are you going to take care of business like me? So perfect. Like that, they they don't dull the edge of his character one iota. Nope. He's still the Killmonger that we left in the last film. And if you had asked me beforehand if, you know, if this scene played out in, in part two uh, and, and Shuri saw Killmonger, you know, in the afterlife, what, what would Killmonger be like? In my mind, he's going to be rehabilitated a little bit he's going to be like softened you know like sympathetic no and, like i'm sorry and, and, that i'm sorry yeah. your brother's that your has passed away i love that that there was none of that i i didn't know it was, it was it, great it added to the conflict it heightened the conflict in that moment uh it didn't give us the relief uh of of the moment of having her you know have some kind of catharsis that catharsis came later her, she still needed to have her her final battle and 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 come to grips with it and she gets that moment we get that cathartic moment where she sees her mother later on in the in the final battle and it, it the this wrong essentially is, is made right uh so she she has that you know inspiring moment uh with with the the afterlife uh, and with her ancestors uh but for now she's still in it she's in the thick of it and so she's dealing with that anger and that rage uh and that you know dark motivation for uh, for what she's doing right now, uh, and she needs to come around to be in service of you know of her people and of of humanity and um, and of peace, you know, and just and and finding a solution. And that's ultimately where they go with it. But to give to give us that in that particular moment to resolve everything there would would have been an end to the film. There wouldn't have been you know this no. great climax. So no. it was it was really perfect that they gave us this. And it was shocking and it was surprising. You know, I, yes. I didn't expect to see Killmonger there. Me neither. So I and thought it was, that was a great moment. Again, like three or four things that they just did well. I didn't want to have yeah. to see Chadwick again there, like, because yeah. it would have not felt right. You give us a character that everybody loves. It makes sense. And it continues mm-hmm. some of the conflict in, in yeah. throughout. So it just like checks so many of those boxes. As, it raised the stakes, you know. Yes. It raised the stakes. Just when you thought that you were going to get a little bit of a relief, it raised them and made it more complicated. And you think, oh, now Shuri has this power, but is she, what's she going to use it for? That there's a there's a new twist to and we you know we didn't what, what have, to have to get like a different timeline Killmonger or a variant right. Killmonger or anything right. like that, right? We were st- this reminded me, and it, I'm not going to spoil anything, but this reminded me a little bit of. You and I were just talking about Andor, about the Marva mm-hmm. and Andor thing, right? How you can have a character still around after they're gone, but it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be there coming back from life, like from the dead. Right, right. right. They can still get their message or point across in different ways, and I thought this was a good right. way of doing it. And we see Shuri suit up now in the Black Panther suit, and we see that Shuri and Riri have found the weakness so they know that if they can heat up Namor's body, he won't be able to get as much oxygen. So that is going to be their plan to try to lure him away from bodies of water, heat him up, kind of vaporize him, 
for the most mm-hmm. part, and that will will weaken him. So that's they they have a plan of attack now. Riri's in the Iron Man suit. They plan to lure Namor and the Talikans out to like the middle of the ocean, and then from there they can enact the plan where they heat up a a, a ship, a Royal Talon fighter, and they they lure Namor into it. So. Smart folks in Wakanda, they have a plan, and it's it's kind of you know baiting him into this ship where they can dry him out and get him to a desert location. We see mm-hmm. Shuri kicking ass as Black Panther. It's yeah. like expected. It's our final um, climactic big battle that we're going to have at the end. This is where things maybe got a little bit wonky in some spots visually. And mm-hmm. I did st- hear. Can, can I be specific there? I please, thought that uh, yes, the shots on the top of the ship with the the battle happening reminded me of like the the third act of of Shang Chi when they're fighting in, in the field and it, it, uh, there's a bunch of people. They're doing martial arts. They're hitting each other. Uh, the action felt a little bit just um, like, maybe too unspecific. Like I didn't really hone in on a lot you. of cool, like, cool he, moments in there. Like somebody was like, "Hey, background guys, fly out just right generic. now!" Right? Like yeah. just like you know, little generic. And then also like maybe in some ways just felt like sparse. Like maybe there could have been more people in certain spots, uh, or it just felt like um some moments the shots just reminded me of this is a soundstage. Uh, you know, there's lights behind the camera. Like I, I was just, I didn't feel like they were in a real room. You know what I mean? I, I felt like there was a green screen behind them. And so that's they got just the flying that, monsters. Let's get the wing yeah. out here. You know what I mean? Like it's just, right. And that, that's what I felt in Shang Chi, and that's what I feel here. And then you know what? I, I went back and I looked at some clips from like you know before this. I, I watched Infinity War. I watched some Civil War. Um, the stuff in Infinity War, when there's a lot of of characters fighting, to me it felt like a little bit more well done. There's something about this that feels more rushed and and cheap, and, not, and it's not every shot. It's not every it's shot. A little to be less fair. personal too. No, you're right. You're mm-hmm. right. Like I think this the the scenes where we're like seeing some of the major characters are better because they feel mm-hmm. personal, you know, and it feels like they're well more well done. Yeah. I know what you mean. It's like when they when they step back and we get like the wider shots. Sometimes mm-hmm. it looks like it wasn't quite done as well. Um, yeah. Now Shuri is, she's battling here mentally with what, how she needs to handle Namor. Should she kill him? She wants to get back at him for killing right. her mother. But is that what's best for her nation moving forward? Because Mbaku does let her know, hey, they mention they talk about this guy like they call him Kukulkan, like a god. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is going to be eternal war if you kill him. You will be setting off a domino that will will go on forever. Is this what yeah. you want? Just make sure. And so we kind of see her mentally battling while she's physically battling with, with yeah. Namor. And we actually see her and Namor fight. This was one thing I saw a few people critique too, that from what we saw from Namor, would Shuri be able to handle him in one-on-one combat like this? Um, I say I, I'm not. I have no issue with that. Me to be honest That's with you. not. I'll push that, back that, against I, that sentiment. I completely agree. Oh. I, I, it wasn't something that I would have even really thought too much of if I hadn't seen it yeah. somewhere else. So I totally agree. Yeah. It wasn't something that I noticed because the counter to that was he mm-hmm. impales her. She yeah. is impaled. 
and he There's walks off. Counters. Like, yeah, she, he, she's, he beats her. So that's one yep. counter. But the other counter is like, he was severely weakened by the, the heat out of in the, the desert. And, uh, yeah. So they had this machine that sucked all, most of the water out of him. Then they brought him uh, toward the, the, the desert. He still has access to water. So he still has some powers. Uh, so she, it, it, the, the playing field was made a little bit more even just because of that. And Absolutely. then also factor in, it's not Shuri, it's the Black Panther. She she yes. took the uh the, the, herb. the, the, She's the got powers the herb. now. This isn't regular she Shuri. Remember that scene where she like she she thought it went bad, she came back from you know uh the other side and she she punched something in anger and it just went across the room, shattered <laughs> into the wall. Like like she's super strong. Like it's Absolutely. not just Shuri anymore. So the, the fact that somebody would complain about that is very, very stupid. <laughs> very, very stupid. No um, and then and then finally, you have the the aspect that she she used her head. She's smart. She used the the flame from the back of the uh, the ship to dry him out further and finish him off. Like that's that's how she did it. You know, it's makes perfect sense to me. And she has him holding him with a blade to his neck, mm. getting ready to kill him. Where she gets the visions of the ancestral plane, Beautiful. and it's her mother finally kind of speaking out to her. And and she decides to show Namor and the Talokans mercy. She yeah. makes an agreement with them that they will help defend and protect the vibranium. But I, I did think like I know like this is obviously gonna set up further conflict in movies, but I did think like Shuri, I mean like we gotta have a little bit better of like a negotiation here with this guy. Like, just make sure at least <laughs> that they're not gonna be going out and killing random people stuff too, because she didn't really say like you guys aren't going to do any other crazy stuff either, right? Like, you're not right, going to go start attacking point. the rest of the world. She just sort of said, we'll help you. Um, yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, it was it's kind of a, I'm, I'm a little tongue-in-cheek here because— they got to hammer out some details. Yeah. 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 We, we do see, though, that Nimor mm-hmm. and the Talokans go back to their home, and yeah. he's actually kind of getting sort of— um, Scolded by one of his Yeah, um, Namora Namora, um, a family yeah. member Who was kind of like embarrassed that he yielded to, yeah. to Wakanda But he actually talks about how it was Part of a bigger plan And he feels yeah. like now We are all allies with Wakanda So we'll just wait We'll play the long game now And as soon as someone attacks them They are going to turn to us for help yep. And we will then be allies Moving forward, so he still sort of has the same long plan. He just has yeah. to have a different way of going about it now. He's going to sit back mm-hmm. a little bit and wait and have to have the first couple of moves made before he can jump back in. Yeah, uh, agreed. So he, he's still in this, occupying this territory where you know he could be a villain, but we empathize with him a little bit more now. And we feel like uh, his character arc has come to a place where he's more at least understanding of his opposition uh, and, and, and empathetic towards his former enemies here. So it could go either way, depending on how things he's, he's going to be Zemo and Loki, right? Like it's right, going right. to be a guy that they need help from in sometimes yeah. and a guy that is a bad villain in other times. And, I, and that, yeah. those are some of the most interesting characters in all of the MCU. Absolutely. I think a little ambiguity is some gray areas is, is, uh, some of the more interesting aspects. There are very of, few of Steve Rogers before. out there, right? Right, right. Like it's more a reflection of, of real life. You know, yes. America, I believe America's 
the good guys, so to speak. But does that mean we've always acted as the good guys or been you know, moral or ethical and the things that have been done and, you know, on behalf of our country and by people representing our country, like, and, absolutely not. That's not the case. And I don't want to keep comparing things, but it's, it's, it's hard not to compare things to things that you just watched that were very well done. But again, Andor does this in the way they present the good mm-hmm. guys as not squeaky right. clean good guys. Well, unscrupulous. Right? Like, yeah. Like yeah. We, Andor was we, so good. In like early Star Wars stuff, we always thought it was like, okay, the the good guys are very good, and then the Empire mm-hmm. is bad, and Darth Vader, and they're the bad ones. We didn't see yeah. what the good guys have to do to kind of, um, like you know, to Ro- Robin Hood type stuff, right? You know, like actually bad stuff, but in order to to truly fight the bad, sometimes you have to do those the shades of gray, and I thought. Um, mm-hmm. This is another character who's really been like very, 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 very well introduced, and I'm really excited to see him pop up moving forward. And now, yeah. as I think it should be at this current moment, Shuri is not the Black Panther and the leader of Wakanda. She is just the Black Panther now because right. we actually see M'Baku step up to challenge for the throne. And I think that would be yeah. a very good dynamic where he could be the leader and the ruler as remember, T'Challa was the Black Panther when T'Chaka was the ruler. So we've mm-hmm. seen this dynamic play out before. You don't have to be the Black Panther to be the leader of Wakanda. And yeah. Shuri is the new Black Panther. So she actually goes to Haiti with uh, with Nakia to complete mm-hmm. the mourning ritual. And what's very sad is that she didn't even complete the mourning ritual for her brother. And right. now she has to complete it for her mother also. Yeah. It's like it's a, it's a twofer. It's a twofer. She's got these same like garments that she was wearing for one funeral, and think yeah. about that. Like the next one came up so quickly, she wore the same things to the next one. It's like, oh my a, gosh! Yeah. Like that's it's it, yeah. It's a great visual um, metaphor though for for everything. You know the way that they introduced that um, that ritual earlier on in the in the film, and then give Yuri uh, give Shuri this moment at the end of the film to kind of uh, have her. Uh, catharsis for both yes. those deaths. Uh, that's that's completing her arc because she's now let go of the anger. She's completed the stage stages of grieving. She's at the acceptance uh, um, stage of of yep. uh, the grieving process. So it's a, that's a, a beautiful cathartic thing, not just for the character, but for us as the audience. We get to experience that alongside her and feel that catharsis over the loss of you know Chadwick Boseman, and of course. Whenever we're experiencing art, we're we're projecting our own experiences and our own grief and loss and that. And so that's the beauty of of a good work of art is it can help us through those moments and inspire us to to you know face down those uh, those emotional aspects of life you know that we all have to deal with. And if you thought, okay, they got me at the beginning with a couple of tears, but I'm good now. Well, mm. nope, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong because now the post Shuri, the mid credit oh. as she's mourning. First, we see these flashback images of T'Challa. Yeah. And the one oh. that got me was the secret handshake. Yes. That, that oh. they do. Oh, like that was what got and me. I again, just, the silence. The silence the echoing si- that oh, moment of right. in the beginning w- w- with, the, with the logo. Uh, but also echoing the story that Ramondas shares uh, earlier on um, where Shuri kind of pushes back against it. You know, she, Ramondas says that she felt... Uh, T'Challa's to, to presence in the uh, kind of carrying her in the breeze 
and that that was a very peaceful moment uh, for her. And it was it was important to her. So she shared that with Shuri, but Shuri kind of shot it down earlier and said that it, that was just your mind constructing something to give you some comfort. It was just a coincidence. Uh, but in this moment, it all comes full circle and she experiences it for herself. Uh, she she feels the presence of, you know, her her brother and her mother there with her. And, and that is a cathartic moment. And that allows her to move on and, you know, find a new strength to carry on. It's it's beautiful. Um, one little small yeah. moment before we get to the post credits. Uh, mm. We do see Okoye break Ross out of jail and she's in her yes. midnight angel suit. So cool. that's a tease moving forward. We got to see her in that suit because she's no longer, or she was no longer a member of the Dora Milaje. She's kind of right. a, like, a, you know, like a, a hitman for hire now, so to speak. Right. You know, she's like a, she's now really like a superhero. And Ross is going to be heading back to Wakanda. So um, I, he has just a good chemistry with Okoye and with Shuri. Like yeah. they do have a good, like a good back and forth. Um, I, it always kind of makes me laugh and smile seeing them together. And, and he's a funky monk too. He, it, they, they introduced him in this film, jogging to some red hot chili peppers. Can't stop. I really uh, appreciated that I know. As, a, as a fan of the chili peppers. And that's like my son's favorite band. I like, he, I show him the can't stop music video pretty much daily he'll ask me for it uh so i i, I really got a kick out of uh of that just a little nugget there that i really liked so hoping to see him in the next black panther you know um it's funny when um when i was doing some uh some acting classes a few years ago mm-hmm. uh it was a little before milo was born and i was before i actually right before i started the podcast i was like yeah. trying to figure out what i really wanted to do and kind of go all into and i was kind of in between stuff and I remember one of the exercises that we have um, in acting class was like, you know, a sense of reality. Like, who could you be? What roles do you think you could have? Like, what? who could you, like, as an actor, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go up there and say, like, I'm going to play The Rock, you know, like, or like in right, roles right. that Dwayne Johnson would get because right. obviously that's not me. But who could I be? And what's funny is one of the guys that I mentioned was Martin Freeman on there like mm, he's just yeah, like a yeah. regular guy you know like he's yeah. and that's what's sort of what's cool about him he's not like um jason bateman was another one who was on my list who i thought like you know i could like yeah. kind of yeah. the roles that i could go for because i'm not some big strong leading man looking type right i'm not necessarily like the sexiest man alive that's gonna like walk you off the screen but you know so you gotta look i thought it was kind of a fun exercise because it, yeah. you have it like you have to who do you it shows what you think of yourself a little bit, right? Like, right, and there's right. always a couple people who are like, "That's you're like you're watching who they say," and you're like rolling your eyes, <laughs> like get the Brad hell Pitt. out of there! Come on, man! Brad, yeah, that <laughs> hit my ass, you know. So, anyways, uh, every time I see Martin Freeman, I always, uh, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is my guy. I like this guy." So yeah, um, he's, he's a man. I love yeah. the OG Office and like. Uh, He's had a great career too. I mean, he he did the uh, the Hobbit movies and yeah, and uh, he, he just he shows up in a lot of anything. Things. Like you can place yeah. him anywhere, and he's not necessarily going to be the leading man in most movies, but he has been. Yeah. Like in the right role, he absolutely can be. He's just a really good player. Wherever yeah. you put him, he he just he always seems like he gives you the great screen time. And we finish he's up. Had a great- He's got a great cameo in Shaun of the Dead. You just reminded me of it. But like, yeah. he pops up there. There's like an alternate like uh, band of people who are fighting against the, the zombies that, that Sean and his crew run into. And and Martin Freeman's part of them. But they, they have everything like 
running a much tighter ship over there. So they're handling it like way better than, than Sean and his crew are. I really liked uh, that film in general, but you know, Martin Freeman, he's a G. And you know what he plays, which I just saw the other day. He plays in love. Actually, he, oh, he plays right. the um, he's a stand in, in the porno movies. He's him oh and that my god from that role. I can't even believe that that's him. I didn't even think about that until right now, but they, and he's like the most polite guy in the world, but he has to be always like naked and like doing the stand-in stuff with a girl. Oh, that's great. So like what a cool career when you look through some of the stuff that he's done, like he's yeah. mentioned, the Hobbit stuff, the office stuff. And then he's had a chance to be in so much fun things through the years. And now yeah. as a member of the MCU, we get to see him pop up all the time. We finish Wakanda forever with a post credit scene where Shuri Continues her grieving And Nakia comes out And introduces Tucson That is Nakia and Chachala's son He has been Boom. kept away from Wakanda For his own safety And just to be able to grow as a child But now he actually says That his real name is Chachala. And talk about a tearjerker, mm. goosebumps, hairs on your arms and on your neck stand-up moment where yeah. this kid, his smile yeah. is like – it is one of the greatest smiles I've ever seen in my life. It is like so, – it jumps yeah, off the screen to you when you see that he is like such a good-looking kid that is just magnetic yeah. immediately. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I noticed some just, just something about the look of this kid really nailed the essence of of uh, uh, T'Challa, T'Challa. Uh, Gen of, genuine, of, yeah, yeah, right, like a, just a genuinity like, to him. Something about his eyes and his smile really captured that essence and made me feel this. I mean, did they cast Chadwick Boseman's actual son? Did he have a? I thought the that, same like, that's what it was thing. I'm not head. joking. Like, I was like, is this his kid? Yeah. I thought I really yeah. did think it. Like it was like and. Oh, I didn't notice it the first time around, uh, but I mentioned it to you even in the theater. Like mm -hmm. they, sh th that kid appears earlier on in the film and actually meets Ramonda and takes Ramonda to uh, Nakia uh, later. So I, I didn't even in, catch in that. He just looks like in, he's in one Haiti. Like, random kid just, just one running of the kids. On the but it's the same kid. So I noticed that only on the second viewing. Maybe some uh, other viewers noticed it the first time. I think you said you noticed it the first time. So. Props to you. I, I totally missed that until the second time. But when I saw him, at, my jaw hit the floor because I, you know, I, I knew like what it was coming at the end. I caught the smile thing from him. I yeah. like initially I saw the kid and I thought like, God, this kid's got mm. like, like there's a reason why this kid is an actor. You know, like that was like the right, first thing right. I saw when I just saw him walk by. And then again, you saw him at the end, and it was like, oh, that was the kid with the smile. Oh my God! Like he yeah. just like it. He has it. As and as, as a father, now like you hear it. Yeah, too, it's like. Man, this kid pride. feels like he's gonna be a star. I love the way he delivered the, the the line, the pride that he had over you know being the the son of King T'Challa, uh, and just the way he delivered that and the, the the words that he said were really inspiring and ended the film on like a very positive, you know, hopeful, uplifting moment. One of my biggest critiques going into this film was you know I felt like they should have recast T'Challa. And dealt with the the passing of um, Chadwick Boseman in a different way. Um, I felt that the the character of T'Challa was important to people, and that it was also important to uh, Chadwick's legacy that that character 
live on and maybe somebody else take up the mantle of it. Uh, I think this is a good um, compromise, though. They were able to celebrate and um, honor Chadwick, the actor, and the character of T'Challa uh, in this film and, and mourn that version of the character. But also they presented a hope for, you know what, T'Challa is not dead. He has a son. He's also named T'Challa. He will be the Black Panther one day. They're giving us that promise. Uh, and then, so that's kind of the best of both worlds. They made the best of uh, what they had to, to work with there. And then as a father, just the idea of this, the theme of, you know, someone carrying on your legacy and seeing that little boy there, that, that, that moved me. I, I dropped a tear in, the, in that first scene. I dropped two in this one because it, 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 there was just something about that and the importance of that and the importance of somebody carrying on your legacy and, and living beyond you. Uh, it's so central to the idea of, you know, fatherhood and family. And, and, uh, and there's just something about that that really hit home for me. So I, I, I felt very emotional watching that. Man. Um, and yeah, great, great it, ending to the film. It was an experience. I'm glad I got to sit right next to you too. When we watched yeah. it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully when we have these new movies uh, that come out, we can go and uh, we've done it a couple of times now. I think we saw Shang-Chi together also. So hopefully yeah. we can, we can see some of these. It's it's always fun to Keep kind of going. look over it. Yeah, and say, oh, cool, cool, you know, and just have a, yeah. a little uh, a moment to share with uh, with some of your buddies. And we've got another one now in the books: Black Panther mm -hmm. Two, Wakanda Forever. Anytime there's a new Marvel MCU movie or TV show, we'll be talking about it here. Now I got to run right now, but maybe mm -hmm. in the next week or two, we can pick your each other's brains on um on uh, the uh, the Guardians holiday Guardians. special. It's just a short Absolutely. one there, but. I feel like maybe we can have a little fun talking about it. So instead it. of yeah. like diving into like a minute of it, let's just put a nice bow on Wakanda forever. Maybe we can check in again in the next week or so, but you have a nice, um, if we don't for any reason, you have a fantastic holiday with, uh, with thank your you, beautiful wife you. and with you your too. son. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Same. Uh, I can't wait to talk about uh, guardians with you. And uh, one more thing, just want to celebrate this film. Uh, one more aspect of it, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, just for being legendarily beautiful in this film. I mean, ah, I couldn't take my eyes off her every time she's uh, in the frame. Uh, just unreal. So I just want to celebrate her for that uh, and for the uh, incredible photography in this film that uh, allowed her to shine so, so brightly. So much appreciation to uh, the DP on this film and to Lupita for just being an absolute smoke show at the end of the day. Totally right, um, agree. She, <laughs> she like there are just some good looking people, fantastic like that they cast in here, and she is gorgeous. And yeah. uh, the the young the little uh little guy at the end, man, he is an absolute looker. Yeah, like sweetheart. cannot yeah. wait to see more of him in the MCU moving forward. They did a great job with this one. And anytime there's something going on in Marvel MCU, we'll be here to talk about it with you. On that's what G said. Make sure to give Tim a follow at Tim is not funny and check out all the great work him and uh, and Jackie have done with their music projects. Thank you so much, you. buddy. You have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll talk again real soon. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Appreciate Don't go anywhere, folks. We still have a lot more to discuss on this episode of That's What G Said. We move from one fantastic flick to the next. We go back in time a few years to Rogue One. This was the first of a Star Wars movie that wasn't part of a trilogy and this is a really good strong standalone movie and now we know more about it because we just watched season one of Andor a 12 episode season if you want 
more information on that, we have recaps and reviews of every single episode of Andor. But right now, we're going to recap and review Rogue One with Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster. Coming off the heels of Season 1 of Andor on Disney+, Plus, it only felt right to take a look at Rogue One and dive on in and see how we felt about this movie now that we've watched a prequel to it uh, in a really good TV show that had a 12 episode run. And you heard us discuss all of these episodes. Uh, Trevor and Michael were along from episode four on, there was a three episode premiere and following that uh, they were here with us each and every week, sharing their opinions, diving into some great TV. So Trevor now taking a look back at star Wars, a uh, rogue one, you know, it's it's funny to look at this now because a lot of times when Cassian was saying or doing things, I was like, no, no, I don't know about that. You know, I was, but but it, for the most part, I think we definitely have a, a much different feeling about this character after watching what he's been through, his origin story a little bit more. What'd you think? Just kind of overall thoughts and then uh, and, and we'll get some from Michael and then we'll dive on in. Have we confirmed how many seasons of Andor we're getting? At least one more. Okay. I know just one, at least one more. I don't know if they're going to be, if there's a third, but okay. yeah, I, I know for sure too. So I, I, I know, like, I felt like wa- watching Rogue One again, we're framing it after having watched Andor. He's got a long way to go to get to the guy that we see. Absolutely. In, 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 uh, Rogue One. Like he's, he's, you know, still got some sensitivity to him um in andor and you know a lot of that sensitivity has worn off at least the person that we meet at the start of rogue one um as rogue one progresses he he starts to warm to Jin a little bit and you see him be more playful with k2 and and things of that nature but uh you know he he's got a long way to go to get to the cold guy that murders somebody on a street um, you know, I, I, you know, someone that was on his side, right? Like someone that yeah. was like there to help, um, like an informant, somebody he knows, somebody he has a relationship. I mean, the first episode of Andor, we see him murder two people in cold blood, um, on a street. It's actually very similar. Um, but this person that he murders at the beginning of Rogue One is is an ally. Is yeah. an ally, yeah. Part of the rebellion, part of the alliance, and. The guy that we see in Andor, sure, he'll murder a couple of Imperials in cold blood on a street, um, you know, that are giving him a but, hard time. But you wouldn't see him yeah, do that to any of his friends, like Aquino or Amelshi or, you know, uh, Bix or, or you know, yeah, Ross. Yeah, was any, kind of annoying, of though. I think we can all agree on that. What was that? <laughs> he was kind of annoying. He's like, he's yeah. there with his, like, broken or sprained arm, like, oh, I can't climb. Right yeah, off the bat. Shoot I know. that guy. But about we, his misery. And... In what's very, I don't know, unique about this movie, Michael, especially for like a Star Wars movie, is almost all the main characters die. And we kind of know that going in because we know what happens afterwards and we never hear the name Jin or Cassian or any of these names. So we know that they don't continue on. We never see them. But you don't necessarily know going in that Jin's going to die in this movie, your main character. Right. You don't know that cat a lot of these main characters are we're going to see actually go, which is I think what what really makes the movie strong and able to stand well kind of on its own in that it it doesn't necessarily feel like well, everything is about the Death Star and what happens in the New Hope moving forward, but it doesn't necessarily feel 
as much a piece. And it is the first anthology movie. This was the first one that wasn't part of a series and not the beginning part of a trilogy. And, you know, it it's kind of refreshing to see, you know, main characters just not there at the end and overcoming all odds. Yeah, I really, I'll be honest. I, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of Rogue One. Um, I've, I appreciated it a lot more this time around. I think part, I mean, Andor, I think played a big part in that. And, um, and yeah, here's the, I mean, I respect the hell out of what they did with the ending. The thing is like, I just like, can we not have like one of our main characters survive? No, you're right though. They're all gone. They're all gone. They're all gone too. It it is. It's a bit much. It's unique. It's different, and we have a lot of ground to cover, so let's dive on in to Rogue One. You know, we kick things off, and this, you know, we get the intro of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but there's no crawl. And we open up with a shot of the planet Lemu, ships flying around, and we have a ship that flies down across a farm, and we see a young girl, Jin Erso, running across these kind of planes, and uh, a ship is following behind her. And when she lands, her mother, Lyra, con- uh, calls Saw Gerrera. And we see the young girl embrace with her father, Galen Urso. And he sort of they are sort of preparing their daughter to leave. Sort of what you would do if there's an emergency, someone's coming for you. So it seems like they have this routine. They've practiced. She sort of knows what she needs to do. They've got a the little fallout shelter for her to run to. So uh, her mother tells her to trust the force. And this little girl runs off to hide. And so in the very beginning part, we see the director Krennic, uh, director Orson Krennic, who shows up to see Galen. These two have worked together for years for the Empire. And as Galen was an Imperial officer, and as he realized they were getting more evil, Galen left and ran away. He wanted to hide and protect his family once he had Jin and he wanted to get out of, you know, having to do any work. He was actually the guy who was working on the Death Star, like one of the main uh, creator, like designers of the Death Star. And it's having some issues. So the director came to try to find Galen. He needs to get him to come back and help to finish up. Galen wants nothing to do with this at all. And it's, again, a very, like, wow kind of start for a Star Wars upbeat sort of movie. We have a couple of murders right off the bat where... We see Jin's mother, Lyra, kind of, Lyra kind of run out to try to help her husband. She gets shot, and Jin is able to make it away. But Trevor, you know, a, another start to a movie, uh, kind of like we saw with uh, Andor the series, where quickly into this, we have someone getting killed. Not necessarily what you're going to expect right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, it, it really does, you know, set up the the annihilation that we just talked about i mean it, it's going to be a dark movie and it sets it up um you know we've got death troopers in the first couple of minutes we've got murder we've got you know people being imprisoned and and you know it's it's a, it's a very dark movie it's it's it certainly i mean it came out in 2016 it was certainly a very different thing that one than what we had seen um you know from you know anything anything that we'd seen pre- previous to this i mean you know like empire is pretty dark at the end of uh, you know when you take stock of of what's going on at the end of empire it's pretty dark 
but um, this is kind of a different level, I feel like, of, of darkness that you hadn't seen in Star Wars. And to, to kind of you know, touch back on something Foster had said of, of can we have one person live, one, one, one main character live? I don't think you can because of the fan base. They're too, hey, where were they? Right? Yeah. They weren't yeah. around, right? They're going to call you point. out. Like, and, like rabid, rabid Star Wars fans are the worst. Because even I, in I, this, you can't, it's, it's funny because when Cassian says a couple things that sometimes you kind of are like, hmm, it doesn't maybe necessarily match up with what he said. You know, like you, you can't sort of help it sometimes, but I don't necessarily, unless it's something really huge, I think I can always in my head write it off. But you're, yeah, you're right. There are a lot of people. Yeah, you do the normal thing. You write it off. You, maybe you do a little, you know, mental uh, gymnastics. gymnastics exactly. Yada, yada, yada. Dude, I, I, I'm a pro wrestling fan. Okay, guys. So you know what I mean. Like, if they give me like a two second explanation, I'm good. That's all I need. It's just like, hey, oh, that's good. We're good. Now I'm gonna. I'm, now I'm a fan. And Galen's trying to play it off here. Oh, I, I can't remember things. I'd be of no help. I'm losing my mind. But of course, the Empire uh, and Director Krennic is not quite uh, going to oblige him here. And this little girl just sees her mom get shot. She has to run off. And as she runs off. Michael, she kind of runs into this cave. She climbs down this secret hatch. We actually see some death troopers, which uh, we see a lot of throughout this movie. These like supercharged, bigger, kind of sleek looking, all black stormtroopers that are much kind of smarter, much more accurate with their shooting, just overall much more lethal. And when she jumps in this hiding area, it's actually Saw Guerrera who helps her out. Says, come my child, we have a long road ahead of us. So we do see and find out throughout the movie that Saw Gerrera was a friend of the family. And when this was all planned out, Saw was someone who helped take care of Jin for the early years of her life after her parents were taken away. Yeah, a, a gentleman with a bizarre accent comes to uh, it, rescue her. Not necessarily the best, you know, um, chaperone. Like I was going to say, <laughs> did they not check the like the Yelp reviews on him as the babysitter? Because I yeah. figure you might have been able to find one or two better to get to set it's up. A little, it's a little bit of a stretch because <laughs> I guess I, I'm guessing Galen got involved with or, you know, got involved with him maybe since he is kind of a defector. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, what what do we know about Saw and Jin that he <laughs> he like trained her and and he said you were like one of my best soldiers. He's putting this teenager into battles. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, but I, I love Forrest Whitaker. He's one of my favorite actors, but he always he's a vocal actor. He has to make a strong vocal choice, I think, to really uh, play his characters. And I'm I'm always here for it as uh, then Trevor following this. We flash to Jin now as uh, 16, 17 years old when we were seeing her as a young girl. She's probably at seven or eight or so there. And she wakes up and she's in a cell. With uh, Ulin Musters, this uh, um, interesting looking uh, creature, and she's kind of staring through the uh, the is, cell. Is it, is it a is it a male, a female, a non-binary? Like, what are we talking about? With yeah, I was gonna thing? say, I don't is know. She, sure. Is she in an all women's prison? Uh, it's just sharing a cell with Ulin Musters in a detention center. Is uh, and she's going under the name of Liana Halleck at this time. Is uh, we just kind of check in with her now and. For the first time in this movie, we see our buddy Cassian Andor, who's with that annoying Tivik. I'm I'm with you, uh, Michael. And Tivik is an Imperial pilot, or talking about how there was an Imperial pilot 
who has defected and he was one of the cargo drivers. And now there's some information that he's been passing around. Apparently they're making a weapon and Kyber crystals are going to help power this. It's, it's referenced as a planet killer. This is supposed to be a huge weapon. Tivik even mentioned saw Guerrera. Cassian asks about Galen Urso. And then all of a sudden some stormtroopers kind of appear and Cassian has to kill the stormtroopers here. Looks like him and his buddy Tivik are going to get away, but Cassian, you know, starts to kind of comfort his friend and then he shoots him right in the back, literally like in the back. As uh and he's able to Aladdin up and out. He really scaled that wall pretty nicely and disappeared. So Trevor again, uh our first introduction to Cassian here was very similar to our first introduction, but in a different way. Here, this is a guy who's giving him very important information that is is like pivotal moving forward and you know obviously in his show he's killing some bad guys but cassian right off the bat it's it's so different that you you almost don't even know if he is really on the rebel side initially like you almost wonder if he's a spy because he's straight killing a someone who you think is a good guy but you know we'll find out obviously that he's just one of these guys that has has had to do whatever it takes what he feels is right and just he executes every mission that he's given yeah, I mean, <clears throat> one thing we've we've seen from the moment we saw Cassian uh, in Rogue One and the moment we've seen Cassian in uh, in Andor, he is a very driven individual, and he is not going to let things stand in his way or let things stop him. He's going to do what he needs to do in order to uh, to move forward. And you know, we we joked right before we got on this and started recording about Melshi being in this thing. I had to look real quick to make sure that this guy that he was shooting wasn't Melshi because this guy's complaining about his arm hurting. And Melshi was like, I can't feel my hands when they're hanging off that rock wall. I was like, did that, did that stick with Melshi? And we are now introduced following this to Bodhi Rook, who was a, an Imperial pilot that defected. I believe he's played by Riz Ahmed, who uh, was in this really good show. Um, that was called the Night of. It was a little mini series. Oh yeah, check. it's great. Yeah, check that out. He does a fantastic it's job. Like in him, that. John Turturro. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's he gets really accused, good. like wrongfully accused of a murder, yeah. and uh, it's really good. Yeah, and so it goes through like the episodes go through like the court case. John Turturro is his lawyer. It's just really, really well done. That was one of my uh, one of my favorite things that I've seen him in. Also, and uh, so Bodie is. Wanting to, he's asking to go see Saw Guerrera. So he, when he shows up, it's two tubes that's there. And uh, Bodhi's obviously very nervous. He just defected. Hey, uh, hey I got an urgent, mes- uh, urgent message. Uh, we're on the same side, but just see past the uniform. I got to speak to Saw Guerrera. He's wearing an, you know, an Imperial pilot uniform. So um, they're definitely not exactly sure of this guy. But they do bring him in to see Saw. And uh, we continue to kind of flash back and forth and kind of set everything and everyone up. And we check back in with Jin. She is now being transported with a bunch of these other prisoners from one jail to the next. And the transport gets attacked by a group of rebels. And here's our guy, uh, Trev. It's, uh, it's Melsh, Sergeant Melshi. Who's in who's in here and he lets her go. Um, he asks her if she wants to get out of here. She says, sure. 
And then she just beats the crap out of everybody, tries to bust her way out. And then she gets choke slammed by a, a nice droid that we're introduced to, K2SO, who loves to speak his mind. So now uh, Jin meets the rebels here and uh, she tries to get away from them because early on, she doesn't have a side. She kind of reminds me here of, you know, how Cassian is yeah. right when we meet Cassian at the very beginning of Andor, I was right? That too, yeah. Not like she's not pro empire. She just isn't willing to risk her life for stuff. Like she even makes a comment when she's talking with Saw after with like, hey, he said, you know, you, you can accept you know, the imperial flags flying over you. And she just says, I just don't look up. That reminded me so much of Cassian, like something he very, said. Yeah, very much so. You know, as it's from this moment on that we get K2SO in our lives. And, <laughs> and he, Alan Tudyk is a national treasure. He's great. And yeah, really funny. Yes. Everything that man does, everything he touches. I just, uh, I, I am, I am in love with Alan. I Tudyk. think, I think K2SO kind of saves this movie. No, he, he no, he's a little bit. It needs, needs, no, it needs some, con- the, a little bit of the comedic yeah, relief. A little doesn't bit like, yeah, yeah. We always need, we always love a fun droid and they did yep. a solid job not doing like a variation of like an R2 unit or um uh like a C3PO. Uh it, it it's a it's a really nice touch. You're right yeah. because it it is with all like all the main characters dying and it's it's serious because and the the pacing of it is quick and there's a it's funny because it feels like they're doing a lot but re- in reality like not a whole lot of ground gets covered, right? They're only doing a few things but it just it takes a while to do this one thing. And then this one thing, I think I was listening to one of the ringer podcasts about it. And they said, yeah, I mean, for a while, they're literally just trying to flip a switch. You know what I mean? Like a yeah. group of the people yeah. are just trying to get to a switch, but they make it work. But you're, you're right. They needed that levity at least with, with K2. And if he's not there, it, you would have really felt it more because he he comes in and says, congratulations, you're being rescued. Please do not resist choke slam and just throws Jin down and um she's now taken by them to the rebel council and at the rebel council we see our friend Mon Mothma and Mon Mothma's there along with uh Cassian and a bunch of the like the top rebels and General Draven is another one they speak with her and talk about how she's calling herself Liana Hollick. They mention all of the things that she's done. Possession of unsanctioned weapons, forgery of documents, aggravated assault, escape from custody, resisting arrest. Imagine if they found out who you really were, Jin or so. So they know who she is. She's the daughter of Galen, who was one of the men who helps develop some of the big weapons for the Empire and the big one that we're going to find out, the Death Star. And they ask her questions about her father. She said she hasn't talked to him in about 15 years. And she asks what he's been doing since. I like to think he's dead. Makes things easier. As uh, Then she they ask about Saw Gerrera. Said she hasn't spoke with him in a long time. And they are basically trying to set up a meeting with her and Saw. See if they can get any information. But really, they want Saw to die. Because they think he's kind of... He's a wild card now. And um, so... Foster, we, you know, we see what the rebels want out of Jin. Why that, you know, uh, why that uh, transport, the passenger, the, uh, you know, the transport got attacked in particular because they knew who Jin was. She was going by an alias, obviously. She didn't want to say Jin or so because she could be found, but they need her. They need her help. 
And they, I think they want to see what side she's really on because I'm sure they're curious if she does have any ties with her father. Like they said, it was pretty simple. You know, they had some questions for her. They're interrogating her and now they need her help. Yeah, this is, you know, we talked about this when we were talking about Andor and the fact that they have like this, I don't, I don't know, what do you, a rap sheet on Jen and we're told a lot about her, but I don't think we're, uh, the, what are the weak points about this movie? We're not shown a lot. Yes, that in about between. About Jen Urso. Yeah, yeah. There's, you're right. And we, and, we're not. And, and that's one of the, that's one of the really weak points. And like, I want to, I like, want to like her. I want to root for her. Well, you're kind she's... of asked early on to really buy in that she's just like this incredible person. And we kind of haven't yeah. seen it or we have, you know, like, that's a really nice, a good point. You know, for, for a main character, we usually see a little bit more, um, you know, she does a few things. She saves the kid, which is nice. And obviously, yeah, yeah. she has a nice, you know, hero moment of save the cat moment there, which, which I appreciated. But yeah, no, I agree with you. It is kind of like, okay, well, here she a, is. It was a kid, not a cat, Foster. <laughs> it, it, oh, it I got to rewatch it. Yeah, it was the same, the, the, the cat <laughs> from the tree. But So basically, um, Jin asks, you know, what does this have to do with my father? Um, the, the emperor uh, has created a weapon with the power to destroy entire planets. And a pilot said he was sent by your father. We need to stop this weapon before it's finished. So Andor's mission is to authenticate the pilot story and then, if possible, find your father. It, he is critical to the development of this super weapon. Given the gravity of the situation and your history with Saw, we're hoping he will help us locate your father and return him to the Senate. And if I do it, Jin asks, they tell her that we'll make sure you go free. So she doesn't really have much of a choice here. <laughs> you know, they can do whatever they want because they know she's got a rap sheet. It's her against a bunch, their word against hers. So... She sort of reluctantly agrees and ju jumps onto a, a U-Wing with Andor and our friend K2SO, who uh, is headed to Jeddah. So uh, K2SO says this is a bad idea, and so does Cassian. And so, again, giving us a little levity here as Draven tells Cassian, one of the, uh, the generals, he comes up to Cassian while Jin's in the plane getting ready. And he tells her in the ship getting ready. Didn't want Trevor to uh, get me on that one again. As uh, he says, Galen Urso is vital to the Empire's weapon. Forget what you heard in there. You find him, you kill him, and in there. So Cassian it's kind has of a mission. Because it's like already built. Yeah. It, it's done. It's operational. It's, I know. Out. You're right. They don't know. Like their info isn't 100%. It's done. Right now, it's already capable of blasting. But they sort of, Trevor kind of, luck into getting some information out of this from Galen that will help them not after many, many people are killed. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, 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 you know, we, we saw it almost done at the end of, uh, at the end of Andor, like it, it's real close um, at the end of Andor. And, you know, at this point, like they literally go to Jeddah and like, Oh, it, it fires like partial power and destroys Jeddah. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Okay. Yeah. So now we're really behind. So K2SO, Cassian, Jin, they're on the way and they have a little fun with a, a blaster that Jin wants. Cassian sort of tries to take it away from her. And K2SO says, You're letting her keep that? You want to know the probability of her using against you? It's high. It's very high. And they uh, head off Yavin 4. And they 
show us Saw Gerrera. He has a big respirator, prosthetics all, um, prosthetic leg. They bring Bro- Bodhi before him. He's he's wheezing he's, all you over. You know, Gino kind yes. of reminds me of somebody else. Oh yeah, with you know with the prosthetic limbs and the respirator and the deep breathing. Oh, oh, oh. look at that! You mean the man we see a little later in this? The man, the man. As Saw is just so, I love the look is great, and and that the visuals in this it movie is are a great good, look. It right? is, uh, yeah. Overall, this movie is like like the Visual. stunts are great, the visuals are are gorgeous. Like yep. it's beautifully shot. Well, and the you know we we harped on it and hit on it and and poked fun at it as we do uh, all throughout Andor, but this one is also chock full of the breadcrumbs of like. They fly away from Yavin 4 and we see the little guy in the watchtower just like we oh, do yeah. in the there's, original trilogy. Mm-hmm. There's so much there's so much nostalgia in Mebidis. Yep. Mebidis little... that it's suff- I think it suffers a little bit because of that. Like the I think the most egregious example is the dude who's from he's like for what? From the Cantina, who's like the leper. Yeah, oh yeah, that same guy that he just pops up. Yeah. It's like it was so unnecessary. Just random that so he's just there again. Like, okay. He's just in every random bar brawl. Every he's, he's a barbara guy. He yeah. gets, he gets around <laughs> and he's protected by like plot armor, I guess. Hanging out and hanging out in desert to semi-desert uh bars and, and getting in brawls. So Bodie's trying to plead his case here. They still have a sack over his head. They don't want him to see where he's going. So he finally they take it off. He sees Saw and he's just look, I gave it to him. They didn't find it. I gave them this information. Galen Urso, he told me to find you. And Saw doesn't believe him. He just says, Boar Gullet, who we are going to be introduced to in just a moment. A beast that uh, is a little bit of a tease, a very intriguing beast. So I'm kind of flashing back and forth again, continuing to set the scene all over the place. We see a TIE fighter flying towards the sky, but we see it's an Imperial Star Destroyer that it's going. And then we see the Death Star. And Imperial officers are up there. And Grand Moff Tarkin uh, is there. So what did you think about this, hard, Trevor? Because this was... A, okay, yeah. We have to talk about this, obviously, because this was a big topic in yeah, this movie. Yeah, I got some thoughts, too. And there's a there was a movie that was supposed to be coming out. And I, I don't know if it's been shelved or that was supposed to be having, like, James Dean as like a major, major role in the movie. And there was a lot of negative publicity. A lot of other actors came out against it. But what they did, they ended up using technology because Grand Moff Tarkin, the actor who had played him, had passed away to bring Grand Moff Tarkin back. They spoke with his family. They got some approval. Foster, how do you feel kind of about it? It, And they did this, you know, they did the same thing with Leia at the end. It was different because Carrie Fisher at this time was still alive. But they used technology to she make her character younger because yeah, she they, wasn't 20, 20, she wasn't Carrie Fisher a year. She wasn't bef- <laughs> looking going to look like she did before a new hope. So um, let's yeah, each Peter, give some thoughts on this. Grant Grandmar Tarkin was played by Peter Cushing, who is, you know, a well-renowned actor did, you know, all kinds of, of, of great things during his career. He was born in 1913 and passed away in 1994. So uh, a solid, 20 years before this movie came out he passed away and it just it's it's the it's the un, i think the foster they call it uncanny valley right that's that's what it is is when yeah it's, it's the 
the Uncanny Valley very notably uh, seen in the Polar Express, where mm-hmm. you really just can't connect with the CG people. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's there's a scene later when uh, Tarkin is arguing with uh, Krennic about who's going to get um, credit for the Death Star. It's it's right after they fire it for the first time, and who's going to get credit for it. And that's when Krennic leaves to go wind a Vader on Mustafar. Uh, and they, it's just, they cut it like it's a real actor standing there, like it's the real guy standing there. And it, it just is so bad and so off putting and takes you so out of it. I know it does. Um, and they could have, they could have done it. Like there's several over the shoulder shots um, from behind him looking back at Krennic. Those are fine. I agree. And, and it didn't, it didn't feel uh, they in a couple years later when they did it with Luke in the Mandalorian. I thought it didn't feel quite as bad. Here. I mean, technology is advanced quite know, a bit. No, you're right. It's, it just it, it was a little bit jarring, and um, you know he he was a part of this story. Obviously, it needed to be in this in some way, shape, or form, and they have him. Grand Moff Tarkin speaking with Krennic. So there's going to be a pa- a power battle that we see between these two because Krennic has been the one who has been overseeing the construction of the death star. That's his baby. And now it is basically done and he is ready to show it off. There have been a few bumps and bruises along the way. It's backed up a little bit, but it's fully operational and ready to go. But Tarkin is upset. Vader is upset. He's not the the most lenient of bosses. You know, he's breathing down everyone's neck, (gasps) literally breathing down their necks. And Vader, you know, wants to know when this thing is going to be ready. So we see these two guys battle and they battled throughout because Krennic is the one who initially went and took Galen Erso from his family and has been working on this Death Star for a while. They found out that a a pilot has turned. We've found out that you've lost a rather talkative cargo pilot. If the Senate gets wind of our project, countless systems will flock to the Rebellion. Director Krennic is not really concerned. When the battle station is finished, the Senate will be of little concern. Now, he's very confident. He confirms, again, I will not fail. And he walks off. And so we're introduced to a dynamic between these two. Again, just kind of cutting all over. We go back to Jin, who has a dream, and uh, Jin's dream is back when she's a little girl and she interacts with her father. It's just like a happy moment with her mom and her dad, and they're actually with director Krennic. And you can see they were all friends together, and he, like, you know, was a friend of the family there. And her, her dad says to her, I'll "Always protect you, Stardust. Uh, don't ever change." And so that was a nickname that he had for her. So a dream from her as she wakes up and then sees the holy city of Jeddah that they have arrived. But um, yeah, Michael, we talked about uh, how they don't, this isn't so brief, right? Like we're just not getting very much of Jin. And that's that, that does feel like a problem in trying to root really hard for this character that is not going to make it through into two other movies either right it's not like the beginning of a trilogy for her this is it yeah she she's kind of uh, i don't know more of like a blank slate a little bit you're right and you know and it's like there's not a whole and i don't think it's i don't think it's like the director's fault or the actor's fault i think it's more a script 
um, uh, issue than anything else. And, um, you know, I, it's, and it's like what she was raised by um, a separatist. Is, is that what Saul Guerrero is? Well, he's um, he, he's a uh, he's, he's resisting or, the uh, empire. Yeah. We and we know that her dad. I don't think he's a separatist because the separatists, like if we go back to the prequels, the separatists are like the the trade federation, right? Right, right, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's and a so partisan. Like he's yeah. an extremist. Yeah, yeah. And because there's all there's all like they don't do a great job of explaining it during Andor when they bring it up, but there's all these little factions that are all splintered. Yeah, yeah, different groups. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like well it doesn't it doesn't seem like there's any any question where her allegiances are going to lie like we we I mean we know that from the outset because like yeah we're, we're rooting for her but I think the script's got to do a little bit more to to muddy that a little bit and and maybe even give her an opportunity to get out to mm-hmm. where she can where she can leave Cassian and everybody behind but she chooses not to and and maybe that's is is kind of what happens later when she's giving her speech. Because she's technically has fulfilled her obligation, but it's just like the arc. It's just it's a weak arc, unfortunately for for me at least. So they arrive at the holy city of Jeddah, and Cassian tells her, "This is Jeddah, or what's left of it. We find Saw. We find your father. Is we see that this place is heavily, uh, heavily uh, uh, backed by empire." Uh, control right now there are a lot of Imperial officers over there Cassian Mentioned because of saw attacking the Cargo shipments and The uh, Our friend K2SO lets us know um, That They uh, it's fuel for the Weapon that the fa- that your father Is building that we uh, we see Kyber crystals are referenced here Which we hear about in the uh, And or series and those are the things that Will help to really fuel The Death Star Jin, Jin talks about leaving uh, K2SO behind. She's obviously not a fan of K2 initially because he choke slammed her right off the bat. So uh, their first interaction was not great. Cassian agrees though. Um, so they leave him behind because they, they think they can kind of maneuver around a little bit better without him and uh, probably stay, you know, out of, out of sight a little bit better. Back to the partisan base. Yeah, here we go. It is a he is a partisan where we see Saw Guerrera basically getting ready to torture Bodhi, the pilot who defected. Bodhi is legitimately on the same side as Saw. He's just trying to give him information about Galen Urso, but Saw does not believe him. He wants to use this what is referenced as a blob-like alien with long tentacles. That emerges from the darkness. The alien approaches. Saw calls it Boar Gullet. And he says Boar Gullet can feel your thoughts. No life is no lie is safe. And he said, What have you really brought me, cargo pilot? Boar Gullet will know the truth. The unfortunate side effect is that one tends to lose one's mind. Boar Gullet's tentacles begin to wrap around Bodhi and stroke his head, reaching into his thoughts. I'm actually see following this, Trevor, that. This does cause some people to lose their mind. For a while, Bodhi can't really even speak. He's kind of sitting, staring off in a cell after this. But Saw is able to get the information and realize that he's telling the truth and that Jin Erso did plant a weakness in the Death Star. And that's going to be, you know, obviously huge information Galen. for all of this, all of these movies and this entire story going forward. Galen Erso. Galen or so. Yeah, sorry there. Galen or so has planted it in there. So, you know, saw like 
Cassian, like a lot of them right now, these aren't your typical good guys. These are your good guys who are killing others, who are possibly scrambling others' minds just to get the information that they need or to protect themselves. Yeah, and this kind of goes back to what we were just talking about um, with the the separation of the different factions of the rebel. You know, what will become the rebel alliance is, you know, he's an extremist, and you know, there's a reason why. Um, I am blanking on his name. Oof, oof, oof. Luthen. Uh, Stel- Stel- Luthen. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, Thank Palpatine. you. Thank you, Luthen. <laughs> uh, there's a reason why Luthen doesn't want to work with him, uh, or or you know doesn't have him as part of his inner circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because he he takes things. You know, we we saw the the measures that Luthen would go to in Andor, and clearly Luthen has issues with the way Saw does things. Uh, and we see one of those issues in torturing, you know, using this beast to torture a pilot who's just trying to provide some information and turn on the Empire. Um, and that's something that would be right up Luthen's, uh, you know, wheelhouse if he was around or or we saw him in this. Um, and, you know, he would probably have vetted him and done some things, but I don't know that he would have gone to these lengths. And, and that's just, again, that's the, the differentiation of, of what you're seeing between what will become the rebel Alliance. Yeah. You know, and speaking of Luthen really fast, since you brought him up, uh, Trevor, um, you, you get to see the, uh, what, what, you know, Luthen did really did a number on saw, right. Cause he, mm-hmm. and you can see that paranoia. Absolutely. To, you're to right. 11. He's gone like almost full wacko schizo. Totally. Yeah. He's, absolutely. He's like, he doesn't know who's telling the truth. Who's not, who's on his side, who's not. And we see, he doesn't even care at the end about even leaving anymore. He's just sort of like, he's got a, like you could see the, the battle scar so visible on him as he like within every breath yeah. that he it's, takes. Right. It's a great point foster because you know, you see him in rogue one and you just think about him being this, this, this paranoid schizophrenic guy. Uh, but we, we saw that moment happen when he, when he became that person. So mm-hmm. that, that's a great point foster. Now we go to the holy city of Jeddah. Cassian and Jin are walking around, and Cassian tells Jin that the temple has been destroyed, but uh, we have someone there waiting. We'll give her your name and hope that gets us a meeting with Saw. Jin says, Hope. And Cassian says, Yes, rebellions are built on hope. Very key line that Jin will repeat in a little bit, and something that our Cassian from Andor that we've talked about for the last couple of months wouldn't have said that's something that he heard from Marva, right? Or Luth and Luthen, and you know, um, maybe probably in the manifesto. Somewhere in the man, too. exactly. I was just gonna. Great point. Yep, that's what I was looking for too. Um, so as they're walking around through the city, they see Chirrut, who mm-hmm. is. To interrupt interrupt you, you know, we see that manifesto on Cassian on Cassian's costume wearing Um, it. Well, that's like a theory, though, right? That's not confirmed. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't mention. Yeah, yeah, mention in here, but but, yeah, he feels like it, right? We'll probably see him wearing it in season two, and then you know that we can kind of check that off. I hope. I hope it is. By the way, I think I I would love if that was was a you know a tie in. This was another series, Michael. This this guy, uh, 
Chirrut was another like really necessary character I thought in the in the movie because he added a little bit of levity but he was just a cool selfless guy he was a blind guy one of a few that still held on to the force and he was referenced as uh, a guardian of the wills they're a protector of the kyber temple Cassian says but there's nothing left for these guys to protect so now they just kind of cause trouble from for everyone but he ends up being really cool he He's going to accompany Cassian and, and Jin for a while and actually save their lives on a couple different occasions. Yeah, I actually, I really like uh, what Chirrut and uh, I think the other character, his friend is Baze. Yeah, Chirrut and like, Baze. Yep. I, I actually do really like these characters. They feel, you know, since they're like, they're like new additions, new, like, I don't know, kind of archetypes. Here's my question. Why not make just Chirrut a Jedi? And maybe, you know, maybe he, his lightsaber is broken or something. And and then maybe at the maybe at the end of that battle on the beach, it, he gets a new lightsaber. Or it gets repaired, or so. I, I was just like, why not just make him a Jedi? You obviously kind of wrote him to be a Jedi. Just make him a Jedi. Go all the way with well, it. It sort, but it sort of goes back to Order sixty six and like what happens in Clone Wars and and you know at the end of Clone Wars and what happens with Ahsoka, which again I'm still diving into that stuff. And some of that stuff had been done before Rogue One came out, and some of that stuff was still being finalized after it came out, but. Order 66 was incredibly effective. Um, and <clears throat> there's a video game um, that I've played uh, called Fallen Order. I don't know if yeah, you yeah, I, mm-hmm. that. I love that Fallen also, Order. Yeah, that also sort of deals with that same idea. So, I mean, if you think back to the time when Chirrut would have been probably a younger man or even, you know, a teenager or a young kid, that's probably right about when Order 66 would have hit. Or he might have even been a little bit younger than that, and he might not quite have been born. Um, no, well, he, he's definitely, no, no, he definitely would have been born. He definitely would have been born. That's yeah, because it's only like a 20-year period between yeah. Yeah. Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. So he's probably you know a 20-year-old to a teenager. Um, and so Order 66 being as, inf- as effective as it was, um you know they they white like he's clearly like he maybe is a jedi um or or has some jedi tendencies or maybe had a little bit of jedi training um but if he was a true jedi he would have been wiped out um and there are very few actual jedi still around after Mm -hmm. order 66 which is part of what you know kenobi deals with yeah trying to get help yeah and connecting to each other out in the open at this point and Jin and Cassian, you could tell you could sense the anxiety from Cassian. Like he's looking around and he says, We need to hurry. This town is ready to blow. And as they're moving through the crowd, we see one partisan throw uh, a little bomb, a thermal detonator that just blows up a bunch of uh, locals, st- stormtroopers, everybody. And like nobody even, they're all fighting each other which is crazy about this. Like, you know, they're not, Cassian's not on the side of stormtroopers, but he actually plucks off one of the partisans who threw the bomb and kind of started it all. This is where Jin goes over to save this little girl who is, uh, who's crying and she kind of dives on top of her. Then the girl's mom comes and takes her off. And it's, it's very chaotic here. And as it looks like they're in peril, here comes our friend K2SO. Uh, it looks like it's K2SO. Jin shoots it, 
but it's actually an Imperial droid. And right behind it, it's K2SO. K2SO says, did you know that wasn't me? And Jin says, yeah, of course I did. That's it's one of my favorite moments. Like right? that, that got a big laugh in the theater. I, me- I remember back mm-hmm. in the day. That was a pop. As uh, Cassian said, I thought I told you to wait in the ship. You did. K2SO responds, but I thought it was boring and you were in trouble. There are a lot of explosions for two people blending in. Uh, grenades coming all over. He catches one and he just throws it back at a bunch of stormtroopers. It kills them all. And they look at each other and, and he goes, oh, yeah, you're right. I should just wait on the ship as uh, and we, we get another little smile here. But the stormtroopers approach and K2SO is able to try to act like he is an Imperial droid. But the stormtroopers end up taking Cassian and you know, he's terrible. He's right? terrible at acting. He's n- n- you're right. He's, he's not really an actor. terrible at it. He's not an actor. He says, "Oh, I'm taking them to imprison them in prison," and then he just slaps the shit out of Cassian, which was kind That's of funny. So great. <laughs> oh, give me a like, fresh one. <laughs> he, he just, which was pretty funny. And uh, the stormtroopers, no, okay, we'll take them. Uh, you know, so they try to take control here, but that's when Chirrut steps in and says, "Let them pass." And he, throughout the movie, will repeat his mantra: "The Force is with me, and I am with the Force." And he says, "And I fear nothing, for all is as the Force wills it." They just think it's some blind man that's crazy walking through, but he stops, and then he just kind of waits. And it's a very Yoda-esque kind of moment where he just, you're not expecting it from him. And he just starts taking them out, you know, beating them one at a time with ease. He's dipping, he's diving, he's all over the place. And he knocks down a group of uh, eight to ten of them. And then it looks like he gets the last one. And and then a bunch more come out. And his buddy Bays just takes them out with the blaster, bump, 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 all over the place. Is a... Right afterwards, instead of turning around and saying thank you, he looks at his friend and says, you almost shot me. And then he says, you're welcome. So these guys have a really great relationship as we uh, continue to find out throughout the movie. The uh, um, K2SO jumps out, but they all sort of kind of come together here as a team. And they realize that, I guess, helping each other along the way and, you know, probably using the help of of, uh, Chirrut is uh, is going to be a plus for them they yeah they kind of just ask a couple more questions ask about jedi said the there's no more jedi only dreamers like this and he points at his friend cheer it Baze talks about how i protected you and they ask about saw guerrera then uh at this point as they mention saw guerrera they are then circled by some of saw's people the partisans and the partisans gain control of this group Trevor, Jin reveals herself and says that anyone who kills me or my friends will answer to Saw Gerrera because I'm the daughter of Galen Urso. So they want to take her in. So they didn't get killed by the Empire, but they did get captured by Saw Gerrera and the Partisans, which is, I guess, what they were looking for, but not necessarily the way they wanted to go in, you know, being captured and thrown in in a cell. Yeah, um, you know, Saw's obviously got the, the the guys out looking for whoever would be of interest. And the second they hear this name, and some of them probably know her from back when she was with the organization, some of the ones that have been around longer, maybe Tubes, um, and, and they bring them in. 
the, the he's really at nice... least due for tenure at this point, right? <laughs> Tubes. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> the really, you know, bring the... them to me alive. <laughs> <laughs> My, I loved when Bodhi says at the beat, like Bodhi see does he see tubes and he says, Oh, you're not what I looked thought you looked like, or something along those like something like that, right? I think. But uh good old tubes. Uh yeah. now you, you get the you get another moment of levity when uh when I'm blind. Why do I need a bag over my head? Oh, that was that, so funny. I forgot about that joke. It's Me too. it's really funny. They bag him up and they take him to see Saw Guerrera and he says, You're right, I'm blind. Why why it's so great. So they're all thrown into the cell, uh, Chirrut, Baze, and Cassian. And then they take Jin to see Saw Guerrera. And I thought there was a funny line in uh, when the three guys are talking in the cell, Chirrut, Baze, and, uh, and Cassian. He, they're talking about the forest for a minute. Chirrut tells us that actually Baze at one point used to be the most devoted guardian of us all, but he's just kind of given up on the force. Cassian says, I'm beginning to think the Force and I have different priorities. And Baze tells him to relax. We've been in worse cages than this one. But Cassian says, this is a first for me. I'm thinking like, hmm, I don't know, man. You've been in some prisons, right, in your day? Like, you've been in a couple cages and in some compromising positions. But Cassian and the three wait while Jin is taken to see Saw Guerrera. And we see right away that Jin it didn't leave Saw on happy terms. Like this was a guy who was raising her after her mother got killed, her dad left. He was basically like her foster father for some important years of her life. And then she kind of tells us last time you saw, I saw you, you gave me a blaster, told me to wait until the bunker until daylight. You left me behind at 16. So, I mean, Saw tries to plead his case to her. Trevor, he says that people were starting to figure out who you were. They wanted to use you as a hostage, and not a day goes by that I don't think of you. But he stops for a moment, thinks about what just happened with Bodhi, mentioning the Galen Urso, and now Jin shows up on the same day. It And Saw is already crazy, you know, like we've said. Now this is... He he has a little bit of reason to think some some weird some weird stuff is up with all these these happenings like on the same day like this. Bring out poor gold again. Just just yeah. get that get, get that the old poor get the old BG out here and uh, see what <laughs> see what he thinks. What's, she, he, uh, what's he got to tell us? I I would have loved if when they see the when he sees the impending destruction that energy you know that energy blast coming at him if like Bort Golit also like sidled up next to him. And they both looked out <laughs> <laughs> as they that see was, Jetta just destroyed. That was right. Borgolet just needs one that last deal and like funny. slaps a tentacle over Saw's head. Yes, I know. Yes, yes. That was, oh, that is damn, damn. Is that is that like in the uh, in like the DVD? You know, like the uh, the extra the extra scenes in the DVD. I think really? so. Yes, <laughs> it should be. It's in there. So Saw asks about why she came. Did you come here to kill me? And you know he. She mentions the Alliance um, and how they want his father. She asks about a weapon. She tells him that by sending me, maybe you'll help them out. Jin wants what they want. Just the information, just help. And Sauce asks her, you know, what about her wants, her motivations? She doesn't really care. She says, my cause? Seriously? The Alliance? Rebels? Whatever you're calling yourself? All it's ever brought me is pain. 
Why why would she want to be a part of this? It, it killed her her mother. Her father got taken back away. Like she's like we said, very much like Cassian at the very beginning of the Andor series. She's not really motivated by helping one side or the other. She just wants to keep herself alive and just kind of keep her head down and try to hide. And the key line that Saw says to her, you can't stand you can stand to see the Imperial flag rain across the galaxy. It's not a problem if you don't look up. But he wants to show her something. And he takes her to a hollow pad. And we see um we're going to see in just a moment a, a very important message from her father. But again, cutting back to everything that's going on, what did you think of the interaction between these two, Michael, where, you know, I we didn't really know what their relationship was like, but we don't get much of it. But yeah, it doesn't seem like Saul was the uh, the greatest uh, uh, guardian here, the way he let it off for her. But he he did seem pretty genuine in that he was trying to to do like what could save her life. Yeah, I think I, you you get the feeling he genuinely cares. They mm-hmm. genuinely care about each other. Yeah, he's just maybe not. You know, a, an extremist. You know, rebel isn't probably the most well equipped to you know be a parent uh, yes. to be an effective parent yeah and um all story stuff... time you know like I, I wonder what nap time was like around there honestly yeah, he, was, he was just teaching her how to like clean I gotta, her a blaster. I gotta turn the lights off for my son i gotta put on soothing music and get like this dark setting i just i can't ex- can't imagine that was happening over there you know no, probably not um no. but all this stuff this this whole scene really works for me honestly yeah like their interaction i actually like the dialogue here that she has yeah, where she's talking about this has only brought me pain. And you're like, oh, yeah, I it, it kind of has. Like, this conflict has really messed up your life. And then when she sees the hologram, like, Felicity Jones is really bringing it when she, you know, she's just processing what her dad's saying. Like, he's still alive. He still loves her. And it's all, like, falling into place for her, like, why he did what he did. Um, and it it all really works here. Th- thankfully, if it didn't, the rest of the movie, re- you know, really doesn't Would be hold water. But, yeah. So they did a good job here, and we uh, we check in again with the uh, the Imperial officers. We check in with Grand Moff Tarkin and Krennic, who are looking at the city of Jeddah, and this is going to be their target. They're basically going to test out the Death Star right now. Krennic is just puffing his chest out. All Imperial forces have been evacuated. I stand ready to destroy the entire moon. They said uh, that won't be necessary. We just need a statement. The holy city will be enough for the day. Krennic says to target Jeddah city and prepare. Everyone gets ready and they are ready. Aim and fire. And they give the command to everyone. Commence primary ignition. It was a, I mean, this scene is so cool. It it was distracting though. Like when the, the one Imperial officer is like working the controls and you, you see a pop up. It's like, he has to do the capture code thing. Like I am not a robot. Yeah, you know yeah. he's got to go through that r- whole rigmarole to, to actually fire <laughs> I know. the laser. I know. Um, it took took me out of it just a little bit when he was selecting all the bicycles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh damn, how many bridges are in this one? Is that a bridge or a tree? Right, like you're doing the. In the I always course. get I always get exasperated when me I have too. to like do the second stage of that. I know. I'm when, like, again, what did I mess up? Damn it! Which one wasn't it? I know. I missed the bicycle. Okay. Just at least uh, for future reference, can you show me what you guys think a tree yeah. is? Really? That's not Come a mountain. On. Are you kidding? <laughs> As uh, the our friends on in, in Jeddah are still in the cell right now, um, Chirrut, Cassian, and Baze, and they notice that. 
in the cell next to them, it's an Imperial pilot who Cassian then asks, are you the pilot? And Bodhi can barely speak. He's all shaken up. He's just had a run in with old boar gullet. So he's not doing very well here. But when they just keep saying pilot, shuttle pilot, it seems like that is what kind of triggers it back for him. And then Cassian says Galen Urso. And that, again, kind of wakes Bodhi up a little bit. He said, I brought the message. I'm the pilot. And now Cassian continues to ask about Galen Urso as we show Lever being pulled and the Death Star kind of moving over Jeddah and a big burst, like a green ray from the reactor. And it has been commenced here uh, not long for our friends on Jeddah and Jeddah in particular. Some of them will make it out in just a moment. But an important message comes through, Trevor. It is from Galen Urso. Saw pops up the hologram, and Jin gets to see her father, who she hasn't seen in a decade or so. And this is the first that she's seen of him in longer because she says it's been 15 years. 15. Since she's seen Sagarero, yeah. right? Yeah. So you're right. 15 years. Um, no, it's been 15 since she saw she's Saw. She's seen Sagarera. Saw, so 20 maybe here even? Yeah, maybe, like, you're right. This is, she could be, she's probably 20, early 20s. Yeah, that makes sense. And the, the little girl we saw was probably in the five, six range. So, yeah. Saw, if you're watching this, we have a chance to save the Alliance. These are the words from Galen Urso. Perhaps there's a chance to explain myself. I don't dare hope for too much. A chance for Jin if she's alive. If you can find her, let her know my love for her has never faded. How desperately I've missed her. Jin, my stardust, I can't imagine what you think of me. When I was taken, I faced bitter truths. I was told that Krennic would have you as well. As time went by, I knew you were either dead or so hidden that he would never find you. I knew if I refused to work, if I took my own life, they would know they didn't need me and they would complete the project. So I did the one thing that nobody expected. I lied. I played the part of a beaten man. I made myself indispensable all while I laid the groundwork of my revenge. We call it the Death Star. There is no better name and the day is coming when it will be unleashed. But I've placed a weakness deep within. A flaw so small, so powerful, they'll never find it. But Jin, if you're listening, my beloved, so much of my life has been wasted. I try to think of you only in the moments when I'm strong because the pain of not having you with me, your mother, our family, the pain of that loss is so overwhelming. I risk failing even now. It's just so hard not to think of you. Think of where you are, my stardust. Saw, it's the reactor module. That's the key. That's the place I've laid my trap. It's well hidden and unstable. One blast to any part and it will enjoy the entire, it will destroy the entire station. So Trevor, what, what's kind of interesting about this to me was like m- multiple things. First, they took a, a major weakness that a lot of people complained about. Like how could something like the Death Star have a weakness? And actually made a really kind of cool story out of it which was a lot of this movie. And it, and they also have a guy, Galen Urso, who's not in this movie very much. He is in one movie. He's not a huge character, but wow, does he have such a massive role in just like this story moving forward? Like he's the guy who sets it all up, you know, for everyone. And we, we don't see him all that much in here, but this is a powerful speech a really good monologue, and it kind of comes off the heels of us hearing a lot of good ones in the Andor show. This was another strong one to tell his daughter, and it obviously impacts her quite a bit. 
Well, and that's one of the nice things about about you know Rogue One when it came out now and or when it's it's coming out is the layering of and the building of the world. You know, you're you've got this world that was set up back in the eighties, uh, back in the early seventies and eighties, and every piece that comes after it just builds something extra, and you can go in bad directions. You know, like like some of the prequel and some of the secondary sequel did. Uh, but you can also go in really nice directions and and have some really nice moments and set up some really nice things and uh, take some of those haters out there and be like, how could the Death Star have this weakness? And like, well, it was purposeful. Um, and so that that's one of the really nice things about building and expanding on the world. Mm-hmm. They can they can hit the critiques, right? You can go back and fix it a little bit, you know, if uh, if need be as Galen continues on um, and we see the city getting blasted and like parts of it just getting engulfed immediately, just gone. More important information. um, There's a complete engineering archive in the data vault at the Citadel Tower on Scarif. Any explosion to the reactor module will set off a chain reaction that will destroy the entire station. And then because of the attack from the Death Star, Foster, we actually... We get cut off. I mean, we've all had this happen before. Bad service here. Bad connection. You know, something goes out. The stream that you're watching gets in trouble. We got to call Spectrum or, or whoever right now to see what's going on. But it's actually because of the blast from the dead, the from the Death Star. And uh, the guys in the cell get bumped around. But they're, you know, they're able to get out of, you know, being in uh, locked in the cell because of all of the uh, the explosions because of everything happening here and they try to go find Jin Cassian tries to go find Jin so now our our three together Cassian Chirrut Bays on the way to go look for Jin who is still just in the other room like mourning sort of from this message like seeing her dad it was a, a positive message so she has good information to relay she has the information to relay about the Death Star but. This is like, you know, seeing, we said, we, we've seen your father of 15, 20 years, however long, right around that time. And you haven't even spoke to him. And now he's telling you, he loves you. He's calling you by the name. He used to call you when you were a child and all, and you're able to, what maybe all this hatred that you've had for your father. And, and like she said, I thought he, I, I pretend like he's dead. He's a good, he's actually sort of a good guy, right? He's creating this thing. That's going to kill a lot of people, but he, he had is, is kind of, pure of motivation when he was doing it as possible he gave him he gave him an out yeah and um you know in andor we saw um you know i think one of the one of the big uh character points was what have you sacrificed and you know he galen has sacrificed a lot yeah you know he's given up any contact with his with his daughter he's work continues to work for the empire um and you know as he says in in the monologue he, he made himself indispensable which was the only way for him to be, you know, to be able to stick around and create this weakness uh, that, you know, gets exploited later. Um, yeah, I love this scene. It's so um, it's it's like tense. You see, like, you know, the like the shockwave coming um, and, you know, thankfully that, you know, the Death Star kind of, you know, uh, on a lower setting. So it gives them a little bit of time. Yeah, to actually I was going to say you're, you're right. You it know. was on it was just like a, not on complete high here. But Cassian kind of has to shake up Jin a little bit. Funny, you think about this, it kind of reminds me of when he goes and gets Bix, Trevor, right? Like, he has to kind of wake her, hey, let's go. We got to get out of here. She's kind of paralyzed for a minute by this information that that she's just received. But 
our our crew get out of here together because he tells her, I know where your father is. Saw encourages him to go, and Saw doesn't want to go. He says, go, save yourself. I will no longer run. Save the rebellion. Save the dream. Jin and Cassian run off. Saw goes over to the window, and he just takes off his mask, and he watches everything as the the city of Jeddah gets destroyed. And we see him watch. We see the Empire watch. And we see our our friends barely able to make it out of here. Trevor, but Saw Guerrera, he meets his demise. You know, it's a really nice moment with I, I the the there's there's a, the the intensity of them like flying and the the craziness of the visuals that you get here. Um, you know, this is one of the better visuals, and you really, you know, this is the first time we've seen the Death Star do what it does up close. Yes. yes. You know, in in a new hope, you see the Death Star just blow up a planet, and you see little particles in space. And it's kind of like it's kind of like what Vader does at the end of the movie, too, right? Yeah, like you get to see like the full strength, the full of this, strength of this of, monster. Of what they've done, mm-hmm. and and then you have Critic, uh, who is just an asshat. Oh yeah, he's just like beaming. It's beautiful. He's beaming. He's so <laughs> proud. Oh my gosh. We yeah, we have to shout out Ben Mendelssohn. He's is great. So yeah. he's such a great villain. Like he's so punchable. Yes, he's but also like like it's like slightly charming. Like it, yeah. I don't know. He's, yeah, have you seen the show Bloodline? That no, he's I in? It was on Netflix. It was like a couple seasons. It was him, Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler, yeah. One of my favorite actresses, Linda Carlini, who is like awesome. Mm-hmm. And she just pops up in everything. Like I love her too. she's in like she has cameos in like every great show that you've ever watched or like loved as a kid, like a Saved by the Bell or like a night. She's like, what? There's a Linda Carlini episode. She's always in everything and she's great. But it's it was kind of a good a good show. Um, and he has a really really kind of fun role in that too. He's he's excellent and he's got that sort of like he's doing something weird with his accent in this movie too. You know, it's not just like his normal voice. He's got a little like a little something to it, which is which is great and he is just so pumped to see these thousands of people instantly just killed and crushed. But our heroes escape and as Trevor mentioned, this is a, a really cool escape sequence where they have to get out and K2 and, and Cassian and uh, Bodhi get on along with, we have Jin, we have our other two friends, uh, Chirrut and uh, Baze. So we have a, a nice little group as uh, they're able to make it off. But it's it's kind of a sad moment because as soon as they get off, they realize that that planet has been just crushed. Like that city has been absolutely destroyed. And Saw Guerrero watches on. We see him for the final time. Back at our uh, our Imperial directors and our Imperial officers, and Tarkin is pretty pretty impressed. He says, "I believe I owe you an apology. Your work exceeds all expectations. I'll tell the Empire. I'll tell the Emperor. Your uh, his patience um, was uh, will be rewarded." And you know, Krennic just keeps going. Oh, that was just an inkling of its potential, and he's all pumped but he's not going to be happy for very long because Tarkin tells him that I'm now going to be taking over. Reminds me of like when the FBI, like a big investigation, they're like, yep, you guys did everything. Now we're going to take it from here as uh, now all the legwork is done, but Moff Tarkin wants to go and take credit for this to Vader. Of course, Krennic is pissed off with his ego. Um, He walks off 
furiously um and tarkin smiles here so in fighting between the imperial officers even with the death star at the capacity it is the operating capacity krennic is is pissed because he wants credit for this now we check back in with our rebels and um jedda is gone and general draven continues to push that they have to kill galen urso while they have the chance so cheer it and Bodhi and our friends kind of grieve over the city that has been been fallen and you know we hear Jin for the first time kind of tell them that that she's Galen's daughter and that you know they all sort of now kind of have a, a motivation right Trevor this kind of feels like the first time where now because of her father Jin wants to kind of clear his name do right by him and save people. Now she she has a reason to do this now because of her father more so than when she kind of seemed like she was I don't want to say mercenary but just sort of lost really, you know, rebel without a cause. Now she's part of the cause and from from early on we we got the sense that uh Chirrut was going to be a good dude and he was going to be part of like the right side. Same thing with Bays. Like we got that sense right away. So now our you know group of heroes they all sort of have similar motivations moving forward yeah and this is sort of like we were talking through all of andor of like when is he going to have that moment where he's going to click and have a purpose and not just sort of be the drifter and and that's what has happened to jen here you know she was just sort of a drifter and made to go places forcibly by k2 at times uh and now she has a purpose now she has something she's trying to do something she's trying to accomplish and a reason for joining the cause. Well, Bodhi, he's totally flipped. Yeah, he wants to, he he wants to prove himself too. And he, he mentions that Galen told me that if I was brave enough and listened to what was in my heart, I could do something about it. They, Jin tells them what she's heard that they call, they, uh, there's a message. I've seen it. It's, they call it the death star but they have no idea that there's a way to defeat it. You're wrong about my father. He knew what would do. He knew they would do it without him. So he made a choice and he sacrificed himself for the rebellion. He's rigged a trap inside of it. He sent Bodhi to bring the message. Um, Cassian doesn't believe her. She doesn't have it with her, right? But she's just relaying what saw show showed her. Now, Chirrut believes her and Baze asks, what kind of a trap? It's in the reactor. He's placed a weakness there. They've been hiding it for years. If you blow the reactor and the module, the whole system goes down. Let's send word to the Alliance. Cassian said he's already done that. She wants to go right now. He says, no, we can't risk this yet. We have to, you know, we have to have a better way of going in there. She, uh, she says, let's find my father then. And he'll tell them himself. So now that the plan has always tried to be to find Galen, but now she... She truly wants to find her father. She truly wants to help these people. And she thinks that they have a, a positive case here as they keep flying through um, Edu and they're having to maneuver around through like really dark, dark areas here. Uh, Bodhi knows the way as they you know have to try to get back to where Galen is. Remember, Bodhi is the, the pilot who defected here. And K2 is letting us know how great a chance there is of our uh, 
of our survival. He's, there's a 26% chance of failure. Um, uh, wait, now there's a 35% chance of failure. And he just says, hey, you know what? Just shut up. Cassian just says, I don't want to know. I don't want to know anymore. K2. Um, they're bumping into rocks. It's raining. It's dark. But they end up landing down in a dark canyon. And they're trying to find out any information they can um, about Galen Urso. Well, so, there's Gino, real quick. There's, there's, there's one thing. Um, please, yeah. There, there. The K two does two things during this movie that are like Star Wars staples. Um, of he, he's saying like what the chances are right there. What you were just talking about. And there's the um, Han Solo says, "Never tell me the odds." And it's almost that moment right great there. Great point. Yep. Yeah. And then later, uh, he, you know, the doors are shutting, and he, he. Oh, I'm blanking on what he says. Let me go look it up real quick. Oh, yeah. I can tell you. Okay, go ahead. He says, I've got a bad feeling. Exactly. And they're like, shh, shut up. That's yeah, they, they stop him. Yeah, yes. like they cut him off from even finishing it. Um, Those so, are like Star Wars staples, and K2 is the one that fulfills both of them. So they uh, they hit a rock. They fall. They're in this dark canyon, and they're they're actually like, like not far out of this Imperial facility. So they want to try to go get a look and, and – you know, see what they can find out here, but they also have to try to fix the the ship so they can get away. Now, Cassian just says that hopefully the, the storm keeps up. We can stay hidden down here. Bodhi, you come with me. We'll go and check it out. Uh, Jin wants to go. Cassian says, we can't risk it. You've got the message. She says, no, everyone has it. And K2 repeats it. Yeah, one blast to the reactor module and the whole system goes down. And that's how, and Cassian's like, shut up, damn it. I, damn it. I just, I have, we, we find out that Cassian has a reason why Jin can't go because he's supposed to kill her dad. And she doesn't know this. His, his mission is to kill her father. And that's why he's going up there to find her, not for the reason that Jin is asking, but to kill her, to kill um, Galen or so. Now, Cassian and, Bodhi run off and Chirrut asks, does he look like a killer? Bay says, no, he has the face of a friend. And Jin says, what, 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 who, what do you mean? Captain Andor. Why? Because the force moves darkly near creature, near a creature that is about to kill. I thought that was a cool line from, uh, from our friend Chirrut. Yeah. They and, really telegraph it. He's like, right? he's like, he's like, I can feel he's going to kill. Yeah, and, you know, K two is like he's like he did have his blaster in the sniper configuration. Yep, exactly. So uh, Jin is now worried as Bodhi and Cassian leave. Uh, she wants to follow them off, so she runs off after them. Cassian and Bodhi are uh, looking at the Imperial facility. They have a little hideout, and Cassian's trying to find. Does, do you think he does that on purpose, Foster? That he says that because he get he basically gets Jin to go run off and he doesn't like Jin. He hates her. You're right. It, he is smart, right? Is, is it can he just not keep his mouth shut or is he like does he definitely have a motivation here? Because he uh, he even points out when uh, when the others leave, like hey, if they don't come back and Cassian's here, we're leaving. We're leaving. Yeah, <laughs> he likes he likes to spill some tea. He does. I think so. Chirrut goes to follow, and then Baze goes to follow. And what's funny is that Chirrut says something like, uh, Baze says, okay, good luck. And he says, I don't need luck. I have you. Because he knows his buddy's going to follow him to try to help him too. Because these two are just like a, a fun little odd couple that have been together for quite some time and uh, always seem to have each other's backs. So Baze and Chirrut are climbing rocks and 
uh, Bodhi sees Galen and he points him out. And he says, that's him in the dark suit. So Cassian then, you know, tries to see what's going on. He tries to get himself into a spot where he can get a good shot on Galen. Um, Galen and director Krennic have an interaction where director Krennic tells him that the, the battle station is complete and you must be proud. Galen's response, proud as I can be. He tells him to gather the engineers because they have an announcement. And Cassian tells Bodhi to go back to the ship because he wants to be alone now. He's ready to kill Galen at this time. But he sees Jin running across. And I think th- this is what has him change his mind. He's he's met her now. He has some doubts from what she said. Could there really be great information here? So he actually does not end up going through with his, you know, his mission, what he's yeah, supposed I think part to do. Of it, I think part of it is what Jen said. And then also, and I mean, we know, you know, I guess we, the original viewers of Rogue One don't, don't totally. But are, now we do. But now we know, we know he's a good guy. And he's not, he's not going to kill unless he has to. And he also sees uh, Galen, um, you know, uh, take the blame for mm-hmm. his for his group of 70 year old. You're men right. Engineers. That's a huge, that's a great point. He sees <laughs> Galen come out and sacrifice himself instead of he's the guy in the class that says, no, it's me. I did it. I did it. But right. Yeah. All his engineers are like 70 year old white dudes. It was, they are. I was like, what? what's going on here? I know. I was going to say, can we get like HR to do a better hiring practices for them over here, Trevor? You know, they kind of have a type, you know, we are talking about space Nazis. <laughs> You're right. That's a great point. Galen says, stop. It was me. They have nothing to do with it. Spare them. Because Krennic is asking about a deserter. He said, one yeah, of he your knows, men yeah, he knows, the Empire. He knows about Bodhi. Yeah, he knows information. Yeah. Some, someone let something slip uh, from this like uh, from this lab, this outpost. So Cassian um, is watching everything happen. And Jin kind of runs out onto the platform. And she starts to, you know cause some chaos um but k2 k2so comes in and tells her cassian can you hear me there's an alliance squadron approaching and we see that the alliance is also trying to kill galen urso and this imperial facility they're targeting this this is part of the plan that they've asked cassian to go you know uh to go fulfill to kill galen urso cassian's trying to you know He's got a lot of things happening. He's talking to B2, uh, to K2. He's he's watching Jin. He's kind of trying to like mentally stop her from getting herself killed. But then he knows that the the rebels are coming or the alliance is coming right now and they could possibly ruin everything that's happening right here. So he's got a lot of like balls that he's sort of juggling right here. I, I, you know, a lot that he's got going on in his head is uh, Galen and Krennic have a face off. Galen tells Krennic, you'll never win. And uh, K2 and Cassian continue to talk back and forth. K2 lets Cassian know and the rebels know, um, you know, information on each side. He's asking the rebels, can you delay the squadron support? But the Alliance forces are already on site. And uh, that General Draven really seems motivated, Trevor, to, to just want to kill Galen Urso. And so again, we have another kind of chaotic battle sort of scene here where we have people getting killed and Galen Urso is going to go down. Yeah, and, and at the end of it, you know, 
she's talking about how Jen, poor Jen, poor Jen, like her surrogate father figure, Sagarera, she shows up, he immediately dies. She finds out where her father is after like what 15, 20 years, like we said, and she goes and finds him. She sees him alive, and right as she's about to get a chance to talk to him, he also dies. Uh, poor girl. Yeah. Poor yeah. Jin. Um, Jin and uh, her father have a, a little heart to heart here. We actually see, um, you know, Jin run out and then uh, fighters come out and they end up blasting um, in th- down the uh, Imperial, ba- this Imperial base. And so again, we've got destruction. We've got fire all over the place. We see bunch of the death troopers and then cheer it um starts blasting tie fighters with an arrow this is incredible this it blind was pretty dude. cool this is this was, I, I loved all this this was pretty badass here um Jin gets up and she runs to her dad and he's been wounded in the explosion she kneels by him uh krennic leaves and she slips and uh, almost falls off this platform again but she crawls back up and they have a, a, a goodbye moment. She says, Papa, it's me. It's Stardust. And she tells him that she's seen the message, the hologram. Galen says, it must be destroyed. Look at you. I have so much to tell you. And then he dies. He goes silent. He closes his eyes. Jin begins to cry. But again, Cassian has to kind of shake her up. Hey, Jin, we got to go. We got to go. And uh, And they get running. So Cassian and Jin are able to make it to safety. What'd you think, Trevor, of uh, of the goodbye here with Jin and Galen? Someone who, you know, it's it, he's an interesting character because when you really think about it at the end, like yes, he did create this Death Star that blasts Jetta and is going to kill a ton of people at the end of this movie, also. But he all along rigged it with a weakness and had the best of intentions to get this information in the hands of the right people as early as possible. So he's sort of one that's, you know, I look at both ways, obviously he didn't, he didn't want everyone to die, but he was part of the building of this that caused so much destruction. Yeah. I mean, his hero, his, his, his hero, his character really becomes a hero. I mean, he's got a heroic um, turn um, and he, he kind of, you know, set it up in the hologram message to, to Saw and Jen earlier and that if he didn't do it, somebody else would and whoever else would have done it would not have, you know, laid the trap inside of of the Death Star. So, I mean, like you kind of have head, head on a couple of times, he is sort of an unsung hero that obviously we didn't know about during the original trilogy. And it's just that layer upon layer that I was talking about earlier. Um, of making things more rich in this universe. And as they get back to the, the ship, Jin is, is pissed, you know, because she looks at Cassie and she said, you went up to kill my father. You lied. He said, look, I could have killed him, but I didn't. But her point is, look, the Alliance, those were their bombs that killed him. It wasn't the Empire. It was this side that was going after him. You knew that. And he says, I had orders. You wouldn't understand that. She makes a great point here. Orders. Even when you know they're wrong, you might as well be a stormtrooper. But he responds and says, you know, we all we don't all have the luxury of deciding when and where we want to care about something. This is like a very Luthan speech. Suddenly the rebellion is real yeah. for you. Some of us live it. 
I've been in this fight since I was six years old. We actually saw young Cassian and what happened to him as a child where his parents were gone and he was living in like the Lord of the flies with the, the other kids. And he says, you're not the only one who lost everything. Some of us just decided to do something about it. She it's going to tell him that he can't talk his way around it. He says, I don't have to, um, you know, Yavin four, we're on the way. Make sure they know we're coming in with the stolen ship. So they, uh, they head out, but this isn't kind of an important back and forth, especially now coming off of Andor and, and knowing a little bit more about Cassian, um, this speech for him hearing that Jin was, it, it just, it's, there's so many parallels in the, this Jin, you know, and, and how Cassian is approaching her is how they would be approaching like Luthien and, and, um, you know, uh, like a Mon Mothma character might have initially approached someone like Cassian. Cassian. Yeah, this I I again, this is really good writing here, and I didn't realize that Tony Gilroy was a co-writer mm-hmm. on the on the screenplay, and he's you know one of the main writers and uh, showrunners on on Andor. Um, I actually I have a quick question, just because since Galen Urso uh, is is Dunzo, let me ask you this: How do we feel about the casting of Mads Mikkelsen? And I, and I asked that being a huge Mads Mikkelsen fan. I yeah, don't know how much he's actually bringing to this. I know and, you're right, and I don't. Well, he's kind of underused. Is yeah, that, I mean, absolutely. You, I think it's very much stunt casting. When I think it, it, I, I, I don't know. I just like it's fine, but I almost, I, yeah, I, I exactly you're right. I feel like he's underused here. It's like you almost expect there to be more from you know from him. As uh, we then move to Mustafar, and we see Krennic arriving to meet with Vader. Vader is coming out of the back of the tank, and his servant kneels down in front of him. My lord, Director Krennic has arrived. And we see Vader's body kind of suspended up in the tank. And um, we get some really cool visuals of Mustafar here. And Krennic's sitting there. He's all nervous. He's waiting to meet the boss. Not the, not the greatest of bosses here, too, Vader. But Vader uh, comes out and... They meet. He says, Lord, yeah. uh, Krennic. Big, big trailer moment here. I remember this being heavily shown in the trailer for this movie. Mm-hmm. He uh, says, you seem unsettled. And Krennic says, no, I've just pressed for time. A lot, lot, lot of things to do. He says, my apologies. You have a great many things to explain. Krennic said, I've delivered the weapon that, that they requested. I deserve an audience to make certain that they understand its remarkable potential. But Vader seems kind of mad. Its power to create problems have been confirmed. A city destroyed, and that caused an Imperial facility to be openly attacked. Um, But he fires back. It was Tarkin that suggested it. And (laughs) Vader says, you are not summoned here to grovel. There is no Death Star because uh, the Senate... There, there is no Death Star. The Senate, the Jedi was destroyed in a mining disaster. So that's what they're going to say to the Senate that it was destroyed in a, you know, not because of the Death Star. They don't want all this, you know, political turmoil across the galaxy, which is kind of interesting about Vader that we sort of forget is that he does kind of, for someone who's evil and kills everyone and force chokes, he does kind of play by the rules with, with overall with the Empire. You know, he sets the rules, but he's not someone who, completely goes off on his own. He kind of knows that they're, the power structure and sort of like the balance needs to stay. So it is kind of interesting when he kind of does things like this that says, well, this wasn't good for the Empire because it caused the Empire to get attacked. You kind of, sometimes you, you, 
you think of him as like a bad guy that's on his own and not necessarily yeah. tied to the empire, right? Yeah, you like, think you think of him as kind of like, and I think you know, pop culture has been like, you know, he's an iconic villain. Well, he's he's not necessarily one dimensional. No, pretty, he's got some depth to him and, and layered for sure. He makes yeah. a total a lot of sense knowing his backstory, like we do. So the uh, these two, obviously, there's a little bit of tension here. Vader says, "You will not rest until you can assure that." Galen Erso has not compromised this weapon in any way. So Krennic says, okay, so I'm still in command. You'll speak to the Emperor. And, <laughs> so and he funny. just starts choking him. Yeah, he's like, I'm still in command? Yeah. Okay, he's, cool. Oh my god. <clears throat> and then he's just getting force choked and Vader just kind of Vader dropping some comedy. Be careful not to choke on your aspirations, director. But um, Ultimate dad joke. Ultimate yeah. dad joke. <laughs> for uh, for... <laughs> the dark father. <laughs> the dark father. Darth Vader. Vader, Dark Father. So we meet back with the uh, the rebellion and their council. There's a big table, senators and leaders, and uh, we see Bail Organa. We see Admiral Radis. We see Senator Vas Vaspor and the Alliance. Um, all sorts of different generals and senators here. Mon Mothma said the they talk about the uh, the Death Star. They said the Empire has means for mass destruction. The rebellion does not. Jin tries to rally the troops, but they just feel like they're outmanned and they just, they're kind of scared at what they've heard of this, this planet destroyer and of what just happened. This place just wiped out the city of Jeddah. How can they counter that? But Jen has some, in, Jen has some information to give them. Why, why would my father lie? What benefit to um My father gave his life so we could have a chance to defeat this. The question is, what choice do we have? Run, hide, plead for mercy, scatter your forces. You give way to an enemy this evil with this much power, and you condemn the galaxy to an eternity of submission. The time to fight is now. Send your best troops to Scarif. If you have to, we need to capture the Death Star plans if there is any hope of destroying it. They're like, no. You're asking us to go into this place where there's based on nothing but hope? Her response Rebellions are built on hope. The line she just heard from Cassian uh, not long before. And I think in hearing that line, I don't think we see Cassian in. Do we, do we see him in the meeting hear that? I don't think so. He's he's weird. Because he's out absent. there waiting for her. But you almost feel like he heard that line. Right? Like that would have been the one like her using his own words that might have got him to finally believe her. Because these senators don't believe her or they don't think that it's enough i don't know it's necessarily if they don't believe her but they don't feel like hey we don't we have we need to have more than this we need to be 100 sure what's the plan how are you going to get in there mon mothma says i'm sorry jen without the full support of the council the odds are too great and bail organa looks sad and jen leaves and but outside her friends cheer it bays they're ready to fight, and so is Cassian. She turns around, and there's a big group. They say about 30 rebels waiting. Cassian says, they were never going to believe you, but I do. We'd like to volunteer, some of us, most of us. We've done terrible things on behalf of the Rebellion. We're spies, saboteurs, assassin. Everything I did, I did for the Rebellion. Every time I walked away from something I wanted to forget, I told myself it was for a cause that I believed in, a cause that was worth it. Without that, we're lost. Everything we've done would have been for nothing. I couldn't face myself if I gave up now. None of us could. It wouldn't be comfortable. That's some Nemec stuff right there, huh, Trevor? 
Uh-oh, I think you might be yeah, muted, Trevor. Sure. Yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> sorry about that. It's all Screw good. you, Foster. Screw you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really hope, um, you know, we've we've talked a lot about how season one of Andor frames uh, what we see in Rogue One. You know, I, I, this is a spot where I'd like to see, this is a spot where I, I think, I, I hope, uh, a hope of mine for season two of Andor, and that I, I want to see that manifesto come back. I want to see, you know, even if it's just like a, a a reading of it or something like that, just so we can kind of see him get some inspiration from it. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, this is this is manifesto type stuff that he's saying. This is the Cassian that we see, you know, in the Prison Break as well. Mm-hmm, um, you're right. This, the the in, the inspirational guy um, that we we haven't seen literally at all during Rogue One up until this moment. No. It, I, you know, I was thinking about this too. It's almost like, you know, in uh, Andor, you know, his arc is what he's kind of like a scoundrel who's kind of maybe self-centered and they find something to care about, puts his talents to use for the rebellion. Um, in Rogue One, we kind of see him, he's like swung kind of almost too far in that direction where he's maybe become a little, you know, we like saw hardened. He was, yeah, he's he hardened. Like, he, he was willing mm-hmm. to. Uh, assassinate somebody. I'm too old for this. Like, you know, it's like lethal yeah. weapon guy almost right here, right? You know, so then, like... So then he has to swing back kind of more to his roots and that's kind of what we see here in this moment when he's when he's with the other volunteers. So, Foster, you referred to him as a scoundrel. Would you say he's swashbuckling? Yeah, I don't mean he doesn't do a whole lot of swinging. And he has a propensity for wearing vests with a pistol on his hip? He does. Yeah. He just doesn't have a tall furry companion. He has a tall robot companion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would definitely years. describe him as a nerf herder, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> That's mm-hmm. true. That's yeah. true. I could use a good. He piece. is scruffy. He's definitely scruffy. <laughs> You're right. Uh, we've got Cassian, Han, and or Solo, and uh, he tells everybody to gear up, and they're ready to rock and roll. They've got a crew of I don't know thirty five or so. Bodhi is ready to go, and K2 says, Jin, I'll be there for you, because Cassian says I have to. <laughs> that, again, this made me laugh out loud again. Me too. This, Absolutely. So, uh, it was a so good, funny. it was a good, and like, Cassian said I had to. great comic, great, like, timing, too, from the, from the droid. Well done there. Uh, Jin tells Cassian, I'm not used to people sticking around when things go bad, and he says, welcome home. So, um, the crew is all together inside the shuttle and Jin says may the force be with us they are on their way hey and, you don't have permission to leave that's not know, that vehicle's off limits what are you Bodhi, doing um no i we are here's our call signal um um rogue one rogue rogue oh, wow, one stupid name <laughs> well there it is rogue one pulling away and and <laughs> <laughs> and they're off. Well, that was very well done. Nicely done, Foster. And, uh, K2 and uh, and the crew are off. They leave Yavin. And we see Mon Mothma and Bail Organa now at headquarters. And they're wondering, like, what the hell just happened? Why did we just, le- like, a bunch of our best troops just leave? But they're actually excited because they they want to fight. And they um now they uh, they're... They're motivated. They understand that they some of the best people are on this. And I think all along, Mon Mothma wanted to. But like she said, without the support of the council, it felt like Bale and Mon were always on the side of Jin and wanting to go do this. And 
I mean, we've seen some of Mon's motivations all along. They, uh, the, the next few minutes are, um, you know, our, uh, our, dis- our, uh, continued movement toward, uh, with our crew, Bodie. Oh, what, one second here. I think, yeah. isn't this where it, it's Bail Organa and Mon Mothma have a yes. conversation? Yep. And she's like, what did she say? Maybe you should talk to your, your friend, your friend. Or, or whatever. The Jedi. It, it, the Jedi. It, it's really heavy handed. Like, yep. Just make it an off, make, make it almost like, like you almost missed it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like, are you going to, yes, I'll, I'll contact him. Like, but they, it, they just, smack you over the head with it's it. So yeah, it's just, it's way too heavy handed in my opinion. So but on the ship, Cassian and Jin kind of share a little bit of a look. It reminded me of, uh, you know, uh, um, of Deirdre, uh, in, in, in Andor, Deirdre and our friend, uh, our See creepy, creepy friend Karn and so we could sense now that these two are starting to fall for each other a little bit as they get closer to the building this is and and Bodhi remember Bodhi knows where they're going because he defected from here so they have the mole that they they need if that's where the structural archives are if the plans are anywhere they'll be in there Cassian asks about the satellite dish on the top <laughs> it's a signal um and so Bodhi's able to kind of really inform them uh, about everything Cassian tells the the rest of the crew that they're landing they're coming in and Jin gets up and gives a speech she says that Saw Guerrera used to say one fighter with the sharp a sharp stick and nothing left to lose can take the day they have no idea we're coming they have no reason to expect us if we can make it to the ground we'll take the next chance and the next and on and on until we win or the chances are spent the Death Star plans are down there Cassian, K2, and I will find them. We'll find a way to find them. And uh, our buddy Melshi. Uh, we hear Cassian talk about Melshi, Pow, Baze, Chirrut. He tells them to move east, get wide of the ship, find a position between here and the tower. Once you get to the best spot, light up the place, make 10 men feel like 100. Motivation time. Bodhi, uh, so everyone's got their plans, right? Like everyone's got their uh, their tasks here in the uh, in this plan. Bodhi has to keep the, the ship ready to go. Cassian says, you're our only way out. Make sure that that engine is running. So they're all set. And um, they their plan is to lure over some of the uh, Imperial officers that are going to, you know, do a, a check of this ship that's come back in, Trevor. And in doing so, they lure them into the ship and they're able to pretend to be Imperial officers, Cassian and uh, Jin are able to take the disguises and that's a way for them to get in. So like always we have, uh, someone has got to be, uh, be dressing up like in uh, some Imperial officers. You know, she's a short to be, uh, yeah, I was going to say a stormtrooper, isn't she? <laughs> she, she is. And, um, the, uh, following this Jin and Cassian put on their disguises. They say bye to their friends, cheer it smiles, and then uh, a cool, a nice little moment when Bay says, "Good luck, little sister," and they uh, they smile. And Melshi is leading his group. They open a big hatch and they jump onto the ground. Um, they're you know kind of flashing back and forth between everyone doing their given tasks. Jin and Cassian are in their disguises. K two walks out of the shuttle. He's headed to the elevator. And uh, we see some of the rebels head into the forest. So Jin and Cassian 
move it to the elevator. The doors close. K2 says, I have a bad feeling about and again, gets interrupted before he can even finish his, uh, his phrase here. The doors close. It cuts him off. And Cassian says, we need a map. K2 again with some comic relief, you know, uh, well, yeah, I'm sure there's one just, just lying about here. Um, so Cassian and Jin with K2 continue through the hallway and they pass another K2 droid that they kind of look at each other. The rebels are now giving out some of those little mini thermal detonators um, as they, you know, prepare and Melshi barks out his orders um, just kind of cool cuts all over. And this is like that final, you know, act of the movie now where we have the, the battle sequence start to go on and everyone plays their part. Uh, Michael, our friend Chirrut gets another really cool scene. He jumps out of the bushes and he's just taking them out with a staff, like real quickly clearing way for, you know, some of the rebels to, uh, to continue on with their plan. So he, he's looking great throughout this. And, um, no, see, so far so good. It seems for the rebels, like with the landing and and like the first few steps to their plan. Yeah, it almost it almost seems like. Well, why don't they just keep doing this? Like, right? They're really, they're really doing a good job with like these stealth kills. Um, and I guess they have some kind of line, uh, with Cassian and and K two where he's like, oh, there's there's so many stormtroopers between us and the destination that they have to you know eventually, uh, detonate all those those thermal de- uh, detonators to draw their clear attention. the way. Yeah. Uh, so I think the third act is fine. I think it's the weakest part of the movie. I think I, I, I like the space battle stuff because I always appreciate it because it's actually like tense and you, and you know, the stakes, it's not just like just CG explosions constantly, like in episode nine. Um, I feel like it would have worked a little bit better if, if it, if it had skewed more towards like a heist and we I even she- saw how well that, you know, went. there, there the is just a here. lot going on. And it's almost a little too, Mike, just in cutting back and forth, even like in following through with a lot of my notes, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening. Like you said, K2 tells them that there's 89 storm. No, and I I don't dis, I don't, I don't dislike it, but it is, it is a lot um, to keep track of. Here's, yeah, here's the thing. Here's my biggest gripe is I wanted Cassian and uh, Jin to have more to do and and I, and I ask that they do brave and or smart things. And they're not the ones doing the brave and smart things for the most part. Yeah, uh, you're right. That's no, that's, fair. That's no, fair. That is, K2 is like the bravest of the group of those. Yeah, three. you're yeah. right. And and like I have a problem with the, the, the last confrontation with Krennic. Like this dude basically killed uh, her dad and, uh, you know, by association, you know, killed her mom. Like she should be able to, she should be able to be the one to blast him. Agree, you know, absolutely. And, and it's like, who it's the hell muddled. is Cassian to tell her, like, don't do this, right? You don't want to do this. What do you mean? <laughs> you you blast? What are you talking about? Get off you of pop- your high yeah. horse, man! I didn't yeah, know no you're kidding. the social no conscience kidding. for everyone here. Ever we've seen you blast people all over the place. But I, that's that's a good point. Um, we. Uh, Cassian continues to check back in with Melshi. He tells him to light it up. And we see the detonators set off this big reaction of all these different explosions. And Krennic is standing in the command center of the, the Death Star seeing all this happen. And he's looking out the window and he says, are we blind? Deploy the garrison and move. So Jin and Cassian and K2 continue along 
their plan and you know they've they've been bought a little bit of time now because the stormtroopers and everyone is flocking to see what those big explosions were and grand moff tarkin is not happy there's the the rebel incursion um happening he asked to speak to krennic and vader is obviously not happy at all because they're going to inform him right now that uh that there is a uh, a rebel attack happening I want to see. I'm sorry. I want to see Tarkin, him call or I see, him. I want to see Tarkin, Vader, and Palpatine like in a Zoom call. Hello, hello, my. The voices would just be fantastic. Or the three of them all pop up on their little. Yeah, uh, my lord, you are uh, muted. <laughs> Damn it! And he's just pressing. Uh, oh wait, am I? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And he keeps going. So K two is, you know really starting to to show how uh, how badass he is at this point. He takes out an officer and uh slams his head down and he's now in control of the uh, of the panel and he's able to um they're able to get information to Mon Mothma Mon Mothma and Bale find out that rebels are on Scarif and she smiles as uh now they all she knows that the fight has started. So now everybody's behind it. They, uh, I mean, they kind of have to be, <laughs> they've already got a, a, some of their troops there. So now they go all in. So you get the full force of the rebel Alliance right now, which is something that we didn't, I mean, we, there wasn't a force of a rebel Alliance, Trevor in, in the show that we just watched, they were building it, but they are, we, I mean, they have these control rooms. They have a lot of information and we find out we're in, in the, TV show that we watched that they were getting funded and they had a lot of money and credits through some of these different heists and, you know, through different attacks through the years. So they were not some like mom and pop organization operating on, you know, with, with poor technology or, or, uh, or, or poor resources. Well, and to get better technology, they're straight up stealing empire Absolutely. technology. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that, that's, that's the whole point of what Deidre starts with is, is, you know, that's what sets her off is that she's tracking that stolen empire technology. So the rebels all get in their, uh, in their ships to go help. We hear in the, like the PA playing in the background, attention, all flight personnel report to your commanders immediately. We've been redirected to Scarif pilots. May the force be with you. Shout out to C3PO and R2 who are just down there waiting. They're going to Scarif. Why does nobody ever tell me anything? R2. And then R2. Okay, so beeps. I, I don't mind seeing them. Me neither, I, I, but is it necessary? I No, it's not necessary it's at all. It's just kind I, of fan service-y. You I know? think you just have them in the background. I don't I don't even think you have them talk. I would have appreciated that a, a lot more, I think. Yeah, I don't I don't think you needed any. You're right. Like, uh, seeing them is, is is fine. I don't even know if you needed the, the talk. Everybody loves to hear old 3PO, though, and R2 with the beep. Maybe even just an R2 beep, right? Like, C3PO doesn't even say anything. Maybe you just hear, like, R2 beep, but... Uh, just the one thing I do appreciate about this movie is for a movie that really only has like a couple of things to do, right? Like get these plans. It feels like there's a constantly moving forward pace. Like there's very few times that it slows down, which is good. And also maybe to the detriment of it, because it'd be nice to maybe spend a little bit more time in spots, but it it's not a hard watch for like a two hour plus movie. It, it goes through yeah, pretty, it moves, pretty it quickly moves for sure. Yeah. It, Mm-hmm. It moves pretty fast. So now we're in the control room and the Imperials are starting to panic. Um, and Krennic is 
freaking out here uh, because they're getting attacked all over. Um, not positive. <laughs> He's thinking about what Vader is going to do to him. Now checking back in with Bodie. Um, he's waiting in the ship. He has the ship ready and he's trying to get in. He's trying to be like uh, a relay man, getting information to Cassian kind of speaking with some of the rebels, but unfortunately he's like losing connection. So he needs to get a better connection here. And we can see what are these big things called again? Why can't I remember the at, ATACTs, is that right? The big, huge... uh, the big ones. Yeah, are... I believe those are. I believe the one you just said is right. The ATATs yeah. are the ones that you see in, uh, in, in, in Empire. Uh, Empire, yeah. And they, but and these are not those ones. These are transport. Like these are vehicle transport ones, which is why they have that hollow section in the middle. And they come, they come out of the jungle, shooting at the rebel forces. Rebels are scattering all over. Some just being destroyed, being killed. Um, then. We get the rebel uh, backup, so they come in, and we're getting just yeah, crazy space battle as uh, as Foster said, and, and lots of cool visuals in here, as um, including uh, repurposing uh, some of the guys from A New Hope, mm-hmm. which yeah. I actually appreciated that. I, I did not, I was not taken out of it. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's like yeah, a- some of the like people that didn't have a big big role, and it's not like they have a huge role, but it makes sense that we've seen them because they would be here. Right, like just yeah. on the timeline, and it, and you know, Admiral Radis is one of them. General Antok Merrick, um, Gavi, uh, Red Leader, Gold Leader, Imperial. Um, we see them, you know, and they're all checking in. Red Leader, Gold Leader, standing by. The uh, Imperials notice all of the Rebel ships, and Krennic now knows that the Rebels are attacking, and so chaos here as Jin can. Jin uh, K two um, um, lets them know that there's fighting on the beach. They've locked down the base and they've closed the shield gate. So that means they're trapped. And he kind of Cassian looks over at her and she kind of looks back and it's like, uh oh, we're screwed. We we don't have much of a way out here. But what they can do, they can still be heroes. We can trans uh, K two lets them know we can transmit the plans to the rebel fleet. We'd have to get a signal out to tell them that it's coming. It's the size of the data files. That's the problem. They'll never get through. Someone has to take that shield gate down. Cassian relays that message to Bodhi, and Bodhi has to try to relay that message to Melshi and some of the Rebel crew. Unfortunately, the switch is in a difficult area, and as much as they continue to try, there's only one man that's able to do this, Trevor. There's only one man that's capable of flipping that switch. And uh, it's our friend uh, Chirrut who walks through and he kind of quietly, you know, he calmly says, I'm one with the force and the force is with me. He repeats it over and over. His friend Bays knows that Chirrut is basically walking to his demise, but he pulls the switch and he ends up being one of the major heroes here that kind of gets them the opportunity to relay this, this message eventually, Michael. So he, he's like a really great character and like someone who has just a, like a, a good throughout the movie. We see him save our, uh, our friends a couple times. He's super genuine. He's able to give us some kind of exposition here and there a little bit and, and uh, give some good information throughout. And ultimately he saves our friends a couple times and he's selfless when it's all said and done. 
yeah, he's a really cool character, uh, honestly. Like, I guess I my only thing is, and maybe I'm just so used to seeing like lightsabers. I was like, let's get like a lightsaber in his hand somehow. Let's let's take like the crystal on Jin's necklace. Let's throw that. You know, somebody will whip up a lightsaber really fast. Um, but yeah, I mean, what what he's doing is enough, and uh, it's a really cool character. And uh, you know, I, I I didn't mind so much that there was such a a force a strong force sensitive person um, there in their, in their little fellowship. And this is where things get to start to get really sad, Trevor, because we start to see like all of these characters now kind of one at a time, kind of starting to, to, to die off as um, you know, first we're just seeing rebel ships all over the place being killed. They're getting some of their shots in also, but uh, you know, Bodie is one who, he sacrifices himself and he's a very important character because he's able to relay a lot of this important information. He gets the information and kind of confirms it with Saw Gerrera. And then they're able to give that information to Jin, pass it along to the rebels. And he ends up sacrificing himself as a stormtrooper basically just throws a grenade into the ship. And when we see that, we know that Bodhi is done and that was their only way out as Cassian has mentioned. So now we kind of really know that our main characters are in some serious trouble. Yeah, I mean, when you started your question, the first thing you said is this is when it really starts to become sad. And like this is where it starts to turn. And, and what we've been talking about, you know, off the top of this is is, you know, almost two hours ago uh, is this is this is a sad movie. This is a dark mm-hmm. movie. Um, and it's unfortunate that none of these characters we don't get more time with any of these characters. Part of what makes Andor so great is we do get more time with Andor, but some of these other characters, Bodhi and uh, Bays and and um, you know those guys, like you want to spend more time with them, you want to spend more time in their lives and see what they're doing. And this is just the 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 beginning of the end for all of our friends, uh, and that that part sucks because these are great characters that you they have made you fall in love with during this show this this movie. And we. Um... We see that Jin and Cassian have made it to the files. K2 is helping them look through files and Jin's reading through. Okay. War mantle. I love the names of some of them. Cluster prism, black saber. And then she sees one stardust. That's it. She knows her dad put that in. Cause that's the name that she would instantly have recognized. That was the nickname that he called her when she was young. We've seen that in a couple flashbacks of him calling her stardust and then even calling her stardust in the uh, in the hologram that she saw. So they get to the file of stardust and our our friend K2 has his uh his demise here, Michael. We love K2. He was a great part of this movie, but K2 sacrifices himself and he lets them know what to do as he does. Climb, you can still send the plans. They climb. open the shield gate. Climb! Climb! And uh, he can broadcast from the tower. So he, he lets them know exactly what they need to do. And he helps c- continue to move this process along. Okay. They should have, like, if I was the Alliance, I would have, like, confiscated or, or a whole bunch of these K2 units. Because they're useful. They're very useful. Uh, Absolutely. He's, like, wiped out, like, you know, a couple, like, squads worth of stormtroopers at this point. Um, you know, and giving them all the great information. Um, yeah, it's it's really sad, and you really feel his sacrifice 
Um, and in by the way, the environments in all, and I love that there's a lot of real uh, sets and environments, and they look really cool. I, I would give that to this movie for sure. I agree. There, it feels very much like Andor, and that a lot of them aren't don't yes. feel green yes. screeny. You know, like they it feels very lived in. As K two says goodbye, and his eyes go dark. Um, now Krennic is got getting more information and he says to send my guard squadron into battle two men with me now uh, because there has been unauthorized access at the data vault so um, they're in and he knows it now and they've got the plans but what they have to do Jin and Cassian have to get to the uh, the tower where they can broadcast this, where they can send out the signal. So that's like the final end of their plan here um, that they need to, you know, to fulfill. We spoke about our friend Chirrut who made the ultimate sacrifice. We saw Bay's scream, you know, for his friend, come back. And Chirrut was hit by an explosion as uh, Jin continues to climb on. Now, Jin and Cassian are kind of, having to jump through this uh like like a big like it's like a huge pl- like a room that's separated by walls like a little platform kind of like an elevator shaft almost that they're like j- leaping back and forth to almost hard to describe but they continue to make it but at one point Krennic shoots at Cassian, who falls down, he looks like he's dead. I mean, he, we think he's going to be dead. Cassian shows back up, Trevor, but he takes a pretty, pretty rough fall here. Props to the stunt guy. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a, that's a big hit. It's it was a, stunt. It's a yeah, stunt. it was a brutal one. So, Jin continues to climb on as uh, our friend Baze, who's also trying to fight. He he, you know, says the force is with me, and he says it with his friend Chirrut as they. Uh, they share a final moment together. And again, we're just losing some of our main characters here. Baze and Chirrut um, are now gone. Uh, at, one of the admirals lets us know that the Star Destroyer is disabled. And Bodhi's fires are, this is for you, Galen. As uh, the stormtrooper tosses in one of those grenades that blows up Bodhi, blows up the ship. And it's... Getting dark. There are not many left, but Jin continues on. And once she gets there, it's like, oh, cool. She's here, right, Michael? But no, we've all had this issue. The antenna isn't working. You got to get out there and fix that antenna. You know, you got to get up on the roof and uh, and fix that thing. Isn't that like how the movie The Santa Claus started with, you know, with Tim Allen? <laughs> he's, he's, yeah, be careful, <laughs> Jin, or you might become the new Satan. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, <laughs> uh, but you will be immortal so there you, is that yeah but there is I that guess. um yeah it's it's very funny that it's it's almost comical to, for it her is, to show though. up with her giant sega genesis cartridge about the <laughs> you know slam that in antenna not aligned antenna, it's like reset on. antenna alignment it is it is a cool like sequence though when she goes out there and then you see like the tie fighters um i like it visually it's 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 very fun so she she's struggling because she's up on the very edge of uh, like the outside of the ship here. And she's trying to, you know, as as you've described, it, it looks like the cartridge that she's trying to put in. 
but she turns around because she hears a blaster click and it's Krennic and he has it and in just great bad guy James Bond villain um, like we've seen millions of times Trevor instead of just shooting her he of course tells her like you know he, who are you she says you know who I am I'm Jin daughter of Galen and uh, he says you've lost uh, she tells him that he's lost he says oh really and she explains my father's built a flaw he put a fuse in the middle of your machine I've just told the entire galaxy how to light it Krennic battles back and again he says the shield is up your signal will never reach the rebel base all the ships will be destroyed he has plenty of time to get out a, a speech here but not the one second it would have take to, taken bad to guys, just blast her right that guy's got a monologue Bad guys got I will say the only thing the, the thing about this is with this guy Krennic, he's the type of guy that would do this. Yeah. I mean, they've yeah. set him up to be Absolutely. this guy. You know, sometimes we're like, dude, that bad guy was smarter than that. They wouldn't have done that. Not this dude. This dude's got such an ego. Like, that's that's what it's yeah. all about. It, and again, I, it was like this is just like a prime moment. I think they could have scripted something where she had to like d- you know, do something kind of smart and out outsmart yeah. him. In and then moment. Cassian just saves her. Yeah, it's like it's a it's like oh all right. Yeah, we 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 kind of forget that Cassian we didn't see him actually die, and he shoots Krennic. Oh, okay. I made a note about this, by the way. Okay, so she when she's climbing out to get to uh, this spot where she can send the send the signal, right? Send the data. Mm-hmm. She has to do some like parkour yes. uh, stuff because that opening that hatch is like opening and closing. It's it's very Star Wars, very like cartoony a little bit. It is uh, like video game. So are we led to believe that Cassian, injured as he was, also did that action where he had to like I know he had time to it, time it just right. That's a great point, right? He I, I, I'm he not going to die on this point. He could have had a broken means. back and like a neck from like his fall, <laughs> and he was able to still just tough that out. Um, he he, he he found like a pole and he jammed something in there and made it stop. Right there we go. Yeah, there we go. Okay, he stopped okay. it. Okay, I like that. Thank you. We can get I can, one of the I can one of the pole like a, a pole that he landed on broke. <laughs> I can take he that. Just took that up with him. So I must they, climb. Jin gets the cartridge in there. The computer is transmitting. You know, and at first it doesn't work, but then she takes it out. It takes it out and blows. Blows on in it the a back. Yeah, I was gonna say blows then, in the back. The dust comes out, and there you go. <laughs> then it's all good. Wait, stop. Turn it out. Turn it off again. Right now, turn it back on. Okay, there you go. You know, we all we Hang all on knew. Twice. Yeah, Hang we on all twice. Knew, we knew the tricks there, and the information has got through. The rebel lieutenant tells us we're receiving a transformation from Scarif, as Jin w- tries to go over to kill Krennic, but Cassian stops her. He says, "Leave it. Let's go." which we kind of mocked a little earlier, but she doesn't really get her moment even like it's like you said, Michael, this guy killed both of her parents, basically like he's responsible for both of her parents death for her being taken from her family, her entire life being ruined. And yeah, I also, I also don't like that. He's like, who are you? She's like, you know who I am. I know. And then she just proceeds to tell him who she is. Yeah. When I think like having him actually have that realization. um, Completely agree. And we didn't see that or, or him. know. like we didn't know. Did he know really? Or was he really, like you said, they did a, they kind of moved through it too, too quickly in this point for this being like a pivotal scene. 
this is something that they could have spent. I'm not saying make the movie longer, but maybe spent a little bit more here. Um, but but also the way they've set up Krennic, like she would have been like, you know who I am. And he would have been like, Lyra, back from the dead again. Yeah, I know. You're right. <laughs> you're just, uh, but, you're right. I, mean, I do like the, I do like his end. Right. He's killed by the by his baby, his precious Death Star mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, and so that that's pretty fitting. Um, yes, I agree. Overall is the uh, the rebels are all getting this information now, sir. We're detecting a massive object and we see the Death Star kind of peer out behind uh, coming out of like hyperspace. And it was really cool. It almost like looks like it's invisible, you know, coming like, like becoming whole again. And we just see it, which is just such a cool, cool visual as they have the plans. And Cassian asks, Jin, do you think anyone is listening? She says, I do. So Krennic looks on as Foster mentions the Death Star. And uh, he sees it and he knows he is in trouble. And, you know, we've, we we kind of end up here with like a, some serious sadness that will quickly move. Like in the last five minutes of this, we get some sadness. We get like a badass scene and then kind of a cool hope scene at the end. So again, this is they're squeezing a hell of a lot in here to uh, to close this out as we see General Moff Tarkin mentioned that Lord Vader will handle the fleet, target the base at Scarif, single reactor ignition. You may fire when ready. Here comes the Death Star. It's ignited, and that big green ray fires. And we see Krennic watch, and it destroys the antenna, hits the ocean, and a big wave rises. Cassian and Jin, they embrace. They are on the beach. And I'm sure they, I mean, I'm not, we don't know how long. I mean, they, they had enough time maybe they, to get one last one in. Right, Foster? Ellie, like, just one more before we go? Because we saw the little chemistry starting to build with these two. Yeah, I mean, that's what I've, I've, I was pushing for that, uh, you know, more than anything. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, show us that deleted scene. Exactly. Please, please. I, I want to see I, him feeding her grapes. I kind of <laughs> like that they don't. I like that it stays ambiguous. I like mm-hmm. that, you know, it's it's because it's not about that. The whole their whole Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Together, all joking aside. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Their whole time together has not been about that. And so I I, I really do like that they don't do that. Yeah, now, yeah. Yeah, they're just they're two people uh with each other at the end, like, you know, just just being we see that embrace. Yeah, and he he yeah. says to her, Your father would have been proud of you, Jin. And the Admiral like the last words from the admiral is rogue one of the, some of the uh, rebel leaders rogue one may the force be with you and some of the rebel ships are able to make it out but cassian and jin stand there and literally everything just comes right at them this huge tidal wave and then it goes silent and we move to darth vader and darth vader is told that the rebel flagship is disabled, but tran- uh, has received transmission from the surface. And Vader is on the cruiser, and he's chasing these rebels who are like doing this handoff. It's like the baton handoff in the the Olympics. It's like you're, you're watching the four by four here, the relay. You're seeing them. They're handing off this file, trying to get the file so they could send it out to the uh, the other rebel ships and the other uh, you know the rest of the alliance. And as 
the music stops. We just hear the breathing. We see Vader's lightsaber, and he just absolutely destroys this group. I mean, this was the most badass Vader we had ever seen up at this point. Up until this point, we've seen some pretty badass Vader in a couple scenes since then, some Obi Wan stuff. But this is this is like Anakin, you know, killing the youngling stuff. Like this is just brutal, and they're able to just pass the plans along, and we see these guys like sending it to the next person, and then as they do, they just get killed. But the sh- the small ship leaves, and Vader watches as uh, the information gets to Princess Leia. And they tell her, Your Highness, the transmission was received. What is it that they've sent us? Princess Leia smiles. And she <laughs> says, Hope. And they desperately, they're like, Oh no, don't don't speak, don't speak. Oh, don't crap. say anything. Barely smile because the mouth stuff is where you see it. Yes. Really. That, I mean, that's, like, that's when it's ruined. When it's it's like it's movement and talking um you know it's here's the thing it's only been pulled off well in only a couple of things and and yes. and, and, and those characters did not speak you're right um, as as we've been talking about this when we were talking about it when we were talking about Tarkin earlier i i went back and looked it up so this movie came out in in, in 2016 deep fakes really didn't come about until like 2018 like that's when they started becoming more mm-hmm. right popular right. and and so this this movie's about two years ahead of its time for what they're trying to do with Tarkin and Leia it's and here's I want to say about Tarkin really fast I actually thought it looked it looked better than I had than I had remembered but you're right Trevor they they are they're just focusing too much on it I think they were like really proud of, of what they had done and and it's I mean it is some incredible work but you know we've got human eyes and you know, it's, it's just not going to fully work for us. You know, you just got to do it minimally and don't even show Leia's face, just show like a shoulder or something, you know? Uh, I mean, agree with, with what you said about it's an incredible work because, you know, I, I am not a graphic designer. I am, I am, I do thoroughly enjoy. There's a, a YouTube group out there called corridor crew. Oh yeah. We've uh, talked about this. We're, we're yeah, big fans. I, I thoroughly enjoy their work and, and what they, the, their, you know what they do with that that channel and um you know so it's more talent than i have to be able to pull that off but like you said i i am a human with eyes and it does not pass the test well we have put another one in the books rogue one that it's um you feel better about watching it though now just kind of knowing these characters more and now like you said trevor i'm kind of i'm really curious about season two of andor to fill in a lot of the gaps between where we left off with Cassian and where we'll get to Cassian before his ultimate demise. And um, it's, I like this movie overall. I actually like it a little bit better now. I don't think it's perfect, Trevor, but it seems like you, you're pretty positive on this one too. I mean, I've always been positive on it. You know, I, this is one of my favorite properties. You mentioned how, um, how badass that Vader scene is. And there are times where like, I'll just look up that scene and watch that one scene. It's so just, good. Just it is, ripping it is what people had been wanting for Va- from Vader for years. And it was kind of like what they did with when Boba Fett had a couple of those types of scenes in the book of Boba Fett. It's like they've been the, the, the Star Wars nerds for years have been wanting to see that type of power from Vader Foster. Right. And we and we got it. And that was the thing about yeah. this. And, and what I will, like, every time I watch a, a Marvel, like an MCU or a Star Wars something, I want there to be at least, at the very least, 
one or two things that stick with me from that, that I'm going to really remember if I think about that movie or that show, like what comes to mind. And when I think about this, that Vader scene is definitely one of the first things. And, and like that stands out as like a great Star Wars moment. Yeah, it's it's really well done, really well shot and choreographed. Yeah, we hadn't really seen. I, I mean, this movie was pretty special in that regard because what we've had, maybe we've had The Force Awakens at this point, but uh, I think that was the only new yeah. one out, if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think because this was 2016. So that had just been 2015. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really special. I, I think the only time and I could be wrong, but the only time we'd ever seen any Vader stuff like that prior was uh, in the video game, The Force Unleashed, mm-hmm. where there was like a, a prologue where you played as Vader. Uh, yeah. Video game taking out. Uh, I think I think he was on like Kashyyyk taking out like uh, uh, Wookiees or something from what I remember. And that was pretty that was pretty cool to be able to do that. Yeah, there, there's a couple of different video games that allow you to, to play as Vader and, and do that. But I mean, I said great video game when you brought up Force Unleashed because those those two video games, there's Force Unleashed one and two. And they're yeah, I, fantastic. I want to play Fallen Order like watching this makes me want to play Fallen Order. Again. <laughs> All of you need to find friends that you can uh, talk about the things that you enjoy with for like longer than those. I think we've I think we've passed the actual runtime of the movie rogue one uh up uh, over like two two hours and 15 minutes now it's it's so fun because this felt like more even more than just talking about rogue one we we're also talking about how it related with the, the series that we just watched and the character that we spent a lot of time with cassian andor you know who was someone in this movie who plays an important role obviously but now it just feels like we I mean, we spent more time with Cassian than we have with like, if you think about like actual screen time than we ever did with like, like a Luke Sky, like any of the main characters. Yeah, that's think a really about, good. Think about really the hours, point. like twelve episodes of like, like forty minutes or so, um, with with Cassian plus this movie now, uh, plus Ro- Rogue One. So that's a lot of Cassian Andor and Trevor. What's great? We've got more of it next year. And I'm very lucky that you guys uh, have spent so much time hanging out with me this year. It has been awesome. We've all got to know each other a little bit better. We've had a whole uh, ton of fun. I've been very, very um, happy with the way all of our segments turned out. We've gotten great feedback. And we'll, uh, you know, we'll have some time off now because I don't think the next thing – there's some animated stuff that comes up early in the year. But I think the next thing that I'll be really recapping on this show, and I'd love to have you guys back if you want, will be uh, Mandalorian uh, Season 3, which I believe is in March. Uh, like February, March. So we still have a, a few months off from that. So Trevor, again, man, it, it was awesome uh, this last year or so getting to know both of you guys working with you at Louisiana. And now you've become a, a big part of That's What G Said podcast. So thanks so much. I hope you and your family have an awesome couple of weeks coming up. We're recording this on December 12th. So Christmas is right around the corner. And uh, man, thanks again for all your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, appreciate having you, you know, you having us on. Um, it's It's been fun. And I, you know, I've gotten to reconnect with Foster at the same time as connecting with you. So it's it's been a lot of fun. Foster, buddy, man, it's been an absolute blast. Uh, I love the humor that you bring to it. And I can't wait to, uh, to talk about more Star Wars content with you guys in the future. You have a, a great holiday yourself, buddy. Thanks again. Thanks, Gino. A blast as always. Michael Foster and Trevor Hayes have been helping us out for the last couple months. One more big thanks to the both of them. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll put a bow on Rogue One now. And we'll probably have a few months off from, from Star Wars. But whenever there's like news on anything or uh, whenever there's a new show, 
or a movie, you know we're going to be talking about it right here on That's What G Said Podcast. A big thank you to Tim Kelly for helping us out with everything Marvel. It's been such a great year talking on so many MCU movies and shows with TK. And then Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster have been helping us out with the Star Wars stuff as of late. It was so fun getting to, to chat with them about all of these great shows and movies. And looking forward to all the excellent content next year in the world of the MCU and in Star Wars. And you know that will be right here on That's What G Said Breaking down every new episode, every new movie on That's What She Said podcast. Thanks so much, folks. We had a double dose of That's What She Said this weekend. Hope you have a great, great weekend. And we'll be back next week with another episode leading you into the holidays and opening day at Santa Anita. Have a nice, nice weekend.